Hello and welcome to episode 72 of the Arena Regulars podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Jeff. And we're your source for weekly drunken Magic the Gathering Arena content. Yep, basically we're just regular dudes drinking very regular beer and we are talking about Magic the Gathering and in particular the story, the lore of the game. That's right. It's another Drunken Vorthos episode. Bow, 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 bow. Really, honestly, our favorite episodes. I know I say a lot of episodes yeah. are my favorite. These are really my favorite. So this is our Drunken <laughs> yeah, Vorthos. Lying all the other times. <laughs> yes. Uh, Drunken Vorthos, Streets of New Capena. And as always, it couldn't be a Drunken Vorthos episode without being a Silver Series. Jeff, what's a Silver Series? All right. So as our enfranchised listeners know here on the Arena Regulars, we like to rate our beers on a scale of bronze to mythic just like the tiers in Arena. Um, and in that system, silver tends to represent the macro brews. So our macro brews go in silver or our micro brews that you know are indistinguishable from macro brews. So when we're talking a silver series, we are pitting all of the, you know, every time we're bringing all macro beers and we're pitting them against each other. So we have four today and we'll rate them from silver one to silver four, where obviously silver one is the best. That is right. What is on tap? first yeah i'm excited so we did sort of like an eastern european thing this time uh we bought a bunch <laughs> yeah. of polish beers and one like east german beer uh and so we're starting off with a beer i have actually never had before um but it's certainly a macro brew so it's definitely falls into the silver category and that is varka strong uh, so this is a beer out of poland it's a pale lager, but it's kind of reddish, actually. Yeah. Um, it's 6.3%. That's why it's called Varka Strong. I don't know if there Strong. is Varka Weak or there is. Regular. <laughs> they don't call it that, okay. but there is. <laughs> <laughs> and this beer is from 1478. So if you've listened to a Silver Series before, you know we do them chronologically. Um, unsurprising that this is our first one up at 1478. Now, uh, like I usually say... Um, I'm fairly positive that the Varka Brewery, it was founded in 1478. I cannot tell if this specific beer was made then, because all of the ah. websites are in Polish. So it's hard to know <laughs> any information about it, but um, that's the, the best I could find. Um, and it, it kind of has an amber color. I think they use light and they light um, malts and, and uh, they roasted ones. Uh, so that's why it gets kind of a, a mixed color like that. But anyway. Uh, so they, they do add some uh, darker malts. Mm -hmm. They do. Um, nice. All right. We have a little bit of magic news. There is an arena open this weekend. It is historic. Uh, so as always, please just pick as, the amount of times that you're going to enter this event. And do not buy more gems to enter it. Uh, that's a slippery slope. That's some gambling problems. So that's right. Always good advice. We'll give it. We'll continue to give it every time, uh, and we stick to it ourselves. So we practice what we preach on that. Um, that's right. And the other exciting news: Hey, streets of New Capena spoilers all over the place. You know, we can we can really get to talking about all these cards, couldn't we? No, I'm, we're not talking about them this oh. week. <laughs> oh right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, if you want to hear our thoughts about the uh, the cards for New Capeta, that's next week and the weeks after that. But this week is all about the story. So let us get into yes. the Streets of New Capena story. All right, 
little bit of background for everyone that's a little confused. So New Capena is a city that is surrounded by a temperate dome on a plane we don't know the name of. But basically we know that that dome encapsulates the city and keeps it good and everything outside of the city is uh, dead wasteland, <laughs> a bad place. <laughs> yeah, and so inside the city um, we have the five demonic crime families that kind of rule, uh, rule the streets. We have the maestros, uh, the cabaretti, the obscura, the brokers, and the Ribbeteers. Now, I wonder if it's maybe worthwhile to go in a little bit into each one of them, give their broad, like, what role they kind of play. Um, so the Maestros, from my understanding, these guys are like the assassins, pretty much. They, uh, If somebody needs to be taken out, this is where you go. And in terms of magic, they're blue, black, and red. Yeah. They're also vampires and, like, own a museum. So, right. kind of cool. <laughs> Um, the green, red, and white aligned family is the Cabaretti. They're like the cat people that, uh, have crazy cat parties, um, that people come to. And, uh, yeah, they are just very lavish. They live large. Yeah. And those are the only two families. That are on New Capena. Um, oh, no, sorry. (laughs) Yeah. I was just, got, got confused because I think they're the only ones that show up in the story. But, uh, so the Obscura are white, blue, and black. And they are Demir, as far as I could tell. There seems to be no apparent difference between the Obscura and the Demir. They trade in secrets. They, they do that whole underworld kind of thing. I've seen it before, I guess. Yeah. That's really interesting because the green, white, and blue aligned family is the Azorius. Uh, the brokers <laughs> are like the lawmakers. Cool. Uh, they make laws. They enforce them, I guess. I don't, I don't know anything about them. The story doesn't talk about it at all. I think they like, the brokers are featured least. No. Are the Riveteers the least? Yeah. So we'll get to the Riveteers, actually. They're, technically, I think they edge out the brokers in terms of okay. their... <laughs> oh, right. Bit. No, now I remember, but it, yeah. It's very close. It's very close. Um, but that leads us to the Riveteers. These guys are like the... Um, they build everything, I guess. So... You know, how the mafia always has its hand in, like, construction. I guess that's these guys, uh, and they're black, red, and green. Though I think I read somewhere that they're considered the destruction workers, not the construction workers. Anyway. Gotcha. (laughs) (laughs) They blow up stuff, I guess. Um, In any Mm -hmm. case, the story really only talks about the maestros and the cabaretti. So um, I hope you're excited to hear a lot about them. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Getting off to a strong start with this one. All right. Um, also, which to be fair, just on those descriptions, those are the two I'm most interested in. So they, mu- I think they pick true. those by design. Yes, because the other ones are not as fun. Um, and uh, also, this world is uh, basically a 1920s feel. All the Art Deco skyscrapers and flapper dresses, pinstripe suits, very jazz, fun, uh, excess. It's it's a lot of like popping champagne bottles and cool, cool stuff. Yeah, finger guns. It's great. Yeah, they're they're very sartorial. They take their uh, clothes, their dress seriously. They do. They really, really do. All right, Jeff. Let's talk about the. Oh, sorry. Disclaimer: As we're talking about this, um, these are the episodes of the story. Uh, there were five episodes, and this is the main story for New Capena. 
We are not talking about any of the side stories. So if they talk about the other families there, they probably do. We missed it. Oops, my bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The, the other families would be featured in the side stories. But. Yeah. Um, anyway, all right. Episode number one, Homecoming. So uh, with a story about New Capena, I just thought it would be really great to start off in um, Theros. In an old... <laughs> yeah, of course. An old story moment <laughs> that happened eight years ago or something. Um, so this is just Elspeth's last uh, final moments as she's dying and basically being dragged to the underworld. Um, and it kind of goes through a lot of her backstory, which we're not going to get into too much. Um, but it's basically her fight with uh, Xenagos on Theros and then getting punished by Heliod and then going and dying and and getting dragged to the underworld by Erebos and it's sad and a Johnny cries it's yeah yeah and then a lot of like random mentions of Daxos that I felt like maybe were unnecessary but I don't know uh, <laughs> yeah she loved Daxos and mm-hmm. uh, something happened to him I guess he's like Heliod's homeboy now yeah well the okay so the Broad strokes. <laughs> Elspeth uh, wants to kill Xenagos and blah, 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 all this stuff. After all that happens, um, Heliod, uh, she kills Xenagos, and then in her dreams, while she's sleeping next to Daxos, Heliod puts something into her dream that's basically her fighting uh, to free herself, and she wakes up and has killed Daxos. So it's her fault. So she killed him. Um, and then he gets dragged to the underworld, and then she has yeah. to work with Erebos. Heliod kind of did. Yeah. So then she tries to get Daxos back from the underworld, but blah, 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 he's not the same, and things are sad. And... Anyway, that's not this story. But Elspeth has a really sad, horrible <laughs> past filled with Phyrexians and uh, loss and death and no love and no home she, and just does, sad. She does seem to get the shit end of the stick, eh? She really does. <laughs> Every story, she's she's a feature, and it's always terrible. <laughs> yes. And, um, spoiler alert, this is no different, really? <laughs> is it? <laughs> I mean, it's probably her best one. I yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, let's get into uh, actual Capena. With Xander and Angelo. Um, so these are essentially the number one and number two uh, guys in the maestro uh, crime family. Xander would be the head of the family. Angelo's kind of his right-hand man. And they're in the maestro's museum, so their headquarters, which, by the way, I don't know why the museum wasn't the triome <laughs> choice. Oh, if, uh, what is the triome? <laughs> is, it, is it something else? It's just Xander's, like, office. So it's called, like, Xander's Lair or something. Xander, it's like... He really what should the have fuck? been his museum. Just say, oh, God, <laughs> that makes me so mad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyways, they are um, talking. You get the impression that Xander is quite old. So they reference a lot his cane. Uh, he has trouble walking. Um, you know, they're sort of sowing some seeds here that Angelo is maybe being groomed to, to lead the, the maestros. And uh, Xander is... Sort of the, you know, used to be the, the top assassin in the in New Capena. 
and is maybe uh, his body is starting to fail him a little bit. Yeah. They also talk about this guy, the adversary, which um, is a mysterious person who happens to be um, recruiting uh, unloyal members of um, the Maestro's family. And they are not super sure who's behind this, but they seem to have a good amount of halo which is our first reference to this mm -hmm. uh object which we don't know much about at this point and um they're kind of speculating that maybe the cavaretti are behind it because they seem to have a lot of halo so maybe the adversary is one of them um but they're not really sure uh in any case um they're a bit worried about the strength that he is gaining and that he may be able to create an imbalance in the force, I guess, on New Cabana. Yeah, and so sort of, I think the p picture they paint of the adversary here is like very new. He's, he's new to the plane, um, but the maestros sort of know not to underestimate him. They have their, you know, their, their sources out there saying, you know, hey, this guy's actually legit. You know, he poses a real threat. Uh, and is not just some hotshot kid who thinks he can start his own crime family or, or whatever. Um, yeah. So we're sort of at that point where the adversary has gained enough traction that he is starting to be taken seriously. Mm -hmm. That was that was sort of my impression of, of where we're jumping into the story vis-a-vis -vis, uh, the adversary. Yes. Um, now we're jumping over to the Cabaretti Ventolione. I believe that's how you say that. Um, where we meet Jetmir and Ginny, who are the head and right hand of the Cabaretti. Hey, look at that. So Jetmir is our big granddaddy man who's an old, another old dude who's joking about how old he is. Mm -hmm. And Ginny is constantly trying to undercut that with like, no, but you're so great and everybody loves you. You throw parties. We all love you. You're not old. And he's like, well, you love me because I have a right. bunch of money and I back these parties. But in a, it's, a, it's a light, flirty, <laughs> jokey way. You know, it's very cute, but also kind of possibly creepy. But it, it's okay. We, we let it slide, I think. Yeah, because it's like his adopted daughter, right? So, um, yeah, but... It was <clears throat> a little too flirty for my taste, but uh, it, it, whatever. I think it's trying to, to be depicted playful. Yeah, to me it seems more like, yeah, it might be his adopted daughter, but she also seems to be, like, very ambitious, and she's purposely doing stuff to get herself in a place where she can control something. So it kind of seemed like they were both getting something out of it. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> um, so this <laughs> let's is... Just, let's blow past <laughs> let's, let's just blow past that. So this is where we learn about this. Uh, the, the Cabaretti are throwing this big party called the Crescendo where they're going to reveal the font. Now, we don't really know what any of this is, um, but uh, they keep talking about it. Uh, but essentially, the Crescendo is the New Year's party, and it's for everyone to come and uh, enjoy. This also where we find out that uh, the adversary is not, in fact, in league with the Cabaretti because the Cabaretti are also a bit concerned about him. They also talk about the adversary, uh, talk about how he is gaining some traction, very similar to conversation with the Maestros have just sort of in the in their Cabaretti mannerisms versus the, the way the Maestros looked at it. Mm -hmm. um, so immediately we've sort of dismissed this uh, Maestros maybe thought that the Cabaretti were working with the adversary. We now know that the adversary 
very likely is completely on his own relative to the other crime families. Yeah, and is probably siphoning people from a bunch of different crime families. But um, Right, yeah. Then we also get to meet um, Kit, who is a singer for the cabaret, and Giada, who's kind of like this sad, scared, like, teenager that has a lot of pain in their life. Seems really reserved and kind of like there. Right. It seems like Ginny almost speaks for her. Like she doesn't really mm-hmm. speak. Um, yeah. She's more just, just kind of there. Goes with the group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just the third, the third party of that, that bunch. Uh, but Kit is very excited because she um, excited for the crescendo and that she's going to have a big song and people are going to love her. And so we're kind of focused on Kit at that moment. Oh, all right. This part is, this is, this is my favorite part coming back to read it again. Um, so, so those of you that were totally predicting that we would start this story on Theros probably also predicted uh, this part when we come to the streets of New Capenna and Vivian Reed is there. Um, oh. Now, you might ask, why is Vivian Reed here? Um I would say that the answer is still rather unclear, but apparently she is interested in a world where nature and, uh, you know, human built, or uh, I guess not necessarily humans, but uh, constructed, uh, you know, like worlds are work in harmony, whatever that means. Yeah, I don't know. And so she thought maybe this giant metropolis that had a dome to seal it off from the natural world around it was probably the one. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. She's here for something. She's here for a reason that the authors didn't want to think too much about, I think. Yeah. It, it seems like this is like her quest. And she showed up here and quickly realized it was not that place. And then she thinks that the city is going to split by the seams at some point. And she sticks around. And then also we find out maybe she could have had different motivations for sticking around. Yeah. Because, I, anyways. Anyway, so she walks through, like, the streets, and then there's, like, some dragon talking about, um, to all the people about the different houses or families and kind of what they're doing and how they're trying to influence the citizens, I guess. Because there is a bunch of people. So the crime families are just the families. But it's not like Guilds of Ravnica where you're in a guild and there aren't really that many people that aren't in a guild. This is like, no, there's a ton of regular citizens and then just some families that control everything. But there's a bunch of just regular people, I guess. Um, anyway. Uh, it's like the real world. Yeah, look at that. We are, we are the people listening to the dragon talk. Um, and while this is happening, yeah. uh, Vivian's standing there and a... Um, wanderer type person weird stranger guy walks up and kind of says oh like oh you 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 think that you fit in and here with the clothes you're wearing but you don't you're just like me and then they realize they're planeswalkers and they start walking and then eventually we find out oh he's talking to her about like halo and stuff and then this person reveals themselves to be Tezzeret. and i'm like wait what oh shit i was like whoa what the fuck he's oh he's here too ah shit okay and so then but it seems like vivian doesn't really know who that is does she not know who tesseret is i thought they were both at the war of the spark so it says that she had like heard of him it's like oh she's heard the name tesseret enough to know he's not to be trifled with or something like that 
you've heard of Tezzeret, who is this planeswalker with a metallic arm. And then you see a planeswalker with a metallic arm. And until he realize, he reveals that he's Tezzeret, you're like, you're, you have no idea. Like, uh, I, I was guessing he had scene. like, he must have had a cloak or something. Anyway, she's following him and they're walking together because she wants to learn more about the plane. And then he talks about Eurobrask. And she's like, oh, huh. I wonder what that is. And we're like, yeah, that's a fucking Phyrexian. That is <laughs> the red. That's the red Phyrexian. Is this going to be exactly like Neon Dynasty where it's Tezzeret and the Phyrexian <laughs> fucking shit up? <laughs> Except this time, instead of like them having to, you know, uh, trick Tamio to convert, complete her or whatever, Vivian just walks right up. And just does it. Hey, she yeah, just signs up. <laughs> She's like, I've been looking for you what... You complete me. I need something that <laughs> takes nature and the constructed world and puts it together into one. I want to be completed. Yeah. <laughs> Sign me up, baby. I've been looking yeah. for this forever. Yeah. Dumb. Um, anyway, she doesn't seem to be worried about it, and then she just goes with him. And am I right in saying that that's the last time we ever see that? interaction ever yeah like like we you know spoiler alert vivian will, will show up later but tezzeret and urabrask i think are maybe mentioned at tezzeret never again and urabrask like once yeah um, so so this makes us think that this is going to be the rest of the story it's not spoiler alert not, if you were no. wanting to like leave this podcast being like no I don't want to hear another story about tezzeret and uh, phyrexian don't worry they're not in the story they don't even need to be in yeah, this part it's it's ridiculous. <laughs> this whole this whole scene with like Vivian and Tezzeret and all of it is clearly them trying to just justify like why Vivian is there and why she might have information that Elspeth's gonna need. And that's the whole point of it. And I don't think they did a very thorough job like thinking it through. They just kind of slapped it in there. And it totally feels like they needed to retroactively like explain some stuff, and so they wrote a couple of paragraphs. <laughs> this sounds like Gossip. somebody wrote it before they read the Neon Dynasty one, and were like, oh shit, and then just forgot to rewrite that part, and it's like an old draft. That's what it seems like to me, where it's like they just like, <laughs> yeah. that was originally what they were going to do, but then they changed their minds at one point, and then they submitted the wrong one. Like, it was really weird. Um, I, I don't understand but, this part. <laughs> So the this is where I was referencing that the uh, uh, Riveteers might have had a bigger role in the story than than at first oh, appears because right. the dragon who's talking talks about like how maybe a misplaced screw or you know or like he's basically saying they're gonna not build stuff correctly for the other guilds that are mm -hmm. crime families that have taken them for granted. So to me that meant okay this this guy's a riveteer. And then I noticed that the head of the Riveteers is a demon dragon, Ziatora. So I think maybe oh. the dragon that was giving the speech is Ziatora. Um, and so in that sense, um, they even had their leader show up in the story, kind of. <laughs> so. Okay. All right. All right. I'll take that. Um, that's cool. Just trying to uh, recruit people because nobody wants to be in the Riveteers. Anyway. Um, sweet, good, right. cool. And that led to this all important. His his natural charisma led to this all important meeting of of uh, Vivian and and Tezzeret. And Tezzeret. And so it really dr drives the whole story, actually. Really important. Anyway, Jeff, let's jump to a train station. Um, we are okay. now. <laughs> Elspeth is on a train uh, to New Capena. From where? From where? 
that's what I want to ask you. Where the fuck is she coming from? <laughs> the train is just like the subway station. So right? she planeswalked outside the dome and then onto there a, was train. a train that took her inside the dome. I don't, I don't know. know. Anyway, um, so she steps off the plane and she's kind of disappointed because she thought that her home would uh, feel more like home, you know, or at least that's what Johnny said. Right. And that's the end of episode one. Yeah. So I guess the, the key takeaway there is that a Johnny told her this is, was her home plane. Interesting. That was the sort of cliffhanger or ending note of the, uh, yeah. of the first chapter. Crazy. I'm not super sure. Let's, let's read the second chapter to see if that's actually what happened. <laughs> because it's, Okay, cool. <laughs> we get more into that in the second chapter. Which, Jeff, tell us what our title is. All right. Up next we have episode two, Dirty Laundry. Ooh. And we are still at Metzio Station. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is like Grand Central. I don't know. This is like a big train station. It's at the center of the city. It's kind of a, a central hub. Um, Elspeth needs clothes, I guess, because she looks like she doesn't belong. Because when you planeswalk, you take the clothes of the previous plane or whatever you had on. And, uh, you know. Yeah. It's realistic that people on completely different planes would not have the same fashion sense. So uh, she sticks out like a sore thumb. Seems more important in this plane, but, oh, I, you know, I, we haven't seen a ton of this in other planes, but, you know, I, I get it. I get it. <laughs> hey, yeah, you look different. <laughs> What's going on? And, and then she, like, bumps into somebody on the, uh, on the train, and that triggers a flashback. Basically, a cat person, a Leonin, runs into her and says, hey, keep your eyes forward. And she's like, oh my God, that reminds me of this one time I was on Dominaria. And then we flash back to Dominaria. <laughs> and it's like the first time she sees a Johnny uh, since she died. And so she's alive again. And Johnny's like, holy shit, you're alive. Um, if you don't know, a Johnny is our Leonin planeswalker. He's a cat guy. He's also very like stoic and cool and like, I don't know, dad-ish. Him and, him and Teferi are like the d- Gatewatch dads. Yeah, he, he definitely seems to have that, seems to have that like fatherly connection with Elspeth. Yeah. So is this like a racist thing? He bumps into a Leonin and then that reminds her of her Leonin friend. And she like goes back. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like it, it was, it was a person that looks like her old friend and then also said the words uh, that we're going to get to in a moment that are the same words that he had said to her. So I can see that. Basically... Um, uh-huh. a Johnny is talking to Elspeth about, um, he preaches to her about life and, uh, the true meaning of home because Elspeth is always worried that she has no home because spoiler alert, not spoiler alert in her past. Um, she doesn't, she spent her youth in a jail basically. And then she, her spark ignited. She planes walked away and I think she went to, um, Bant. And she was there for a while, learned how to be a soldier, and then eventually went to, like, uh, Theros for a bit and thought the gods were cool and then went to Phyrexia and a bunch of shit happened and it was really scary. And then she went back to Theros and then she died. So she's always looking... So is that where she met Ajani? Like, because Ajani was in on Alara. Right? Yeah, I think she met Ajani in Bant. That was, so, so, like, kind of during her, right. like, adolescence, essentially... But when she was really little, she was like a prisoner in a jail cell. And it was really scary and sad. And um, this is kind of the moment where Ajani is telling her, hey, 
I found where your home was. But we don't get to know just yet. But we all know it's New Capena because she literally just told us in the last chapter. Um, but just right. just wait. That's the way they structured it. Yeah, that's the way it's structured. <laughs> um, uh, but as he's talking about uh, what home truly is, which is like in your heart, she's kind of like, no, I just want a place to call home. I want to know my real home. And Ajani just tells her to keep your eyes forward, look to the future, and don't let the demons of your past consume you. I liked this line. This line, it did something for me. Because I liked that they tied it with where we were before. And also talked about the demons of your past, which she has demons in her past, but she also has demons she's going to face in the, her future. So, um, literal. Demons in her future. Yeah. Literal demons. Um, so, that was nice. I, I, I thought that was, a, that was a good little, just a little sprinkle of, of something nice in there. Um, hey, good job. Yeah, glad you pointed that out. That line went straight over my head because <laughs> I was like, yo, let's, let's, uh, let's cut to the chase on this flashback. I mean... <laughs> We all know he's going to give her some some advice and then tell her that New Capena is her home plane. Why, do, why does this need to be like the longest section in the episode? This is kind of funny because I was thinking the same thing until I started just enjoying reading it. And then throughout most of the story, and I think most of the stories, whenever there's like fighting, I like don't care that much. And I'm more interested in the non-fighting parts. And I just kind of forget what happens in the fight because I know that they're going to get out somehow and I just like don't care. <laughs> And I just want to hear the other random shit where they're just like standing and talking to each other. <laughs> but anyway, Elspeth has a new job on New Capena in present day. Tell us about it, Jeff. All right. Well, uh, she works at a dry cleaners. I don't totally like, is she the delivery girl? I guess she delivers like the clean clothes back to, uh, I think, she, yeah, whoever did it. <laughs> or she's just like a general. Just like general worker, you know, yeah. just cleans the clothes, maybe does some deliveries, like whatever they need her to do, that's what she does. Mm -hmm. And it's very important that uh, there are six types of dry cleaning, one mm -hmm. for each family and then one for uh, the peasants or citizens. Yeah, the fucking not, uh, us. The riffraff. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, you know, you can't let the clothes touch the, the citizens' clothes. I mean, that would be... Or disgusting. the other families. Yuck. No, right. you got to keep yeah. the vampire clothes away from the cat clothes, away from the, I don't know the other ones because nobody, I guess dragon clothes? I don't know. <laughs> um. You know what though, I, I can kind of relate to not wanting my clothes mixed in with a bunch of cat clothes because it'd be like hair that you just can't get rid of. Everywhere. You're right, but you know? if that, those cats were the only people that were throwing parties... I'd probably have a lot of cat yeah. hair on my clothes anyway because I'd probably hang out with them a That's lot true, because yeah. <laughs> they're a lot cooler than... If you don't... They have if, the most halo, so... Yeah. Um, which we still don't know very much about and we will find out um, in a bit. So we get the impression that Elspeth doesn't have a really good relationship with her boss. Um, that's fine. She doesn't really give a shit about this job. Uh, she leaves to go on a delivery and comes back and oh no! There are a bunch of maestro punks harassing her boss and basically breaking a bunch of shit in his store. And he looks worse for wear. Like, they might kill him. Like, it's not good. Um, remember, these are vampires. Oh, yeah. So. I think it's sort of, like, implied that they're definitely going to kill him mm -hmm. if, if she hadn't stepped in. So, yeah, she steps in and then uh, runs like a wimp. <laughs> uh, and sort of... they. <laughs> A chase scene ensues through the streets of New Capena. And uh, 
one thing that I found interesting is like it's made very clear that these maestros do not care about hurting innocent bystanders. They don't mm-hmm. give a shit about that. They are like hurling magic at her, like throwing daggers, um, trying to just do whatever they can to catch up to her. Because uh, you know, we maybe we skipped over this too much. Elspeth talks some shit. Yes, she does. Um, there's also yeah. a nice moment where uh, they're basically asking her if like she works there or she, like does she have any special interest in this owner and the owner speaks up and says no she's just a random patron trying to save her which is very sweet um another weird fatherly figure thing where they have a bad relationship but he he kind of tries to protect her when he is at his weakest um very nice right but in any case they are running away and this is a good moment to remember elspeth doesn't have a weapon this is a soldier who doesn't have a sword um it's gonna be a big deal and we remember it at this moment. Because um, she wanted to fight them, she just can't. Because there's too many, and she doesn't have a weapon. So, we run away, and then... Jeff, do you want to talk about the brawl? I don't think it's that interesting, but if you remember things about it, go ahead. <laughs> uh, no, I don't remember that much. Uh, basically, she calls them you know, ugly buttheads. That infuriates mm-hmm. them. They chase around the street. They throw ma- shoot magic at her. They throw weapons. She ends up finding, like, like rebar basically Mm -hmm. um just some like construction stuff the rivet up one of those and then yeah (laughs) good old rivet tears uh and then she you know basically kind of like goes all uh darth mole on darth ball on their ass with like this this pole and Mm -hmm. uh kind of pretty easily beats them all is basically the main point very easily Um, yeah which begs begs the question that did she even really need the weapon but um like if she beat them that easily maybe she could have beaten them with pretty much anything (laughs) well i mean there was a moment where she tries to punch somebody and she hits their armor and then she's like oh shit that didn't look like armor that looked like just a uh, clothes and so we realize oh their clothes are armor we didn't know that so that is one important moment that's true through all of this after everyone is beaten up and laying on the ground um a figure emerges from the back and it is, and hello, oh my gosh. And he's like, whoa, mm-hmm. that was pretty crazy how you beat up my whole family. Um, you got some real chops. Do you want to work for me? <laughs> um, and so she uh, she says, no, I don't want to do that. You guys suck. And he's like, oh, well, we could give you a bunch of uh, Halo. And she's like, no, what is that? I, I don't want that. And he's like, she's like sorry, what? what? Sorry, what? <laughs> Who the fuck are you? You don't know what Halo is or how good it is? You really aren't from around here, which Elspeth does not enjoy hearing what someone on her home plane telling her she is not from here. Oof, that does not go over well. Yeah. Basically, as they're doing this, they're still talking about stuff. And then eventually they're talking about a statue that is like basically an angel fighting a Phyrexian. And she's like, hey, what's going on with this thing? And then Hello's like, oh, I don't really know, but we have a bunch of shit like that at the Maestro's Museum, which is where they, this is their headquarters. Yeah. Flashback to <laughs> Jeff. A Johnny. Uh, it's a flashback to a Johnny telling her her home is New Capena. Oh. Yeah. Wait, her home is New Capena? <laughs> That's crazy. I just thought, oh, it's not, yeah. she, she didn't it's, tell us that. This scene was really necessary. Like, yeah, if absolutely. If go back and explicitly map it out for me, I would have been very lost. So That's crazy. I'm really thankful um, for, for that part. 
flash forward to New Capena. And Elspeth finally agrees to, to join the maestros because she wants to learn as much as she can about the Phyrexians. Maybe they invaded the plane. Maybe not. We don't know. But she wants to know as much as she can about her home plane. So um, a couple of things that I like about the Angelo interaction. Uh, the first one is that um, Angelo watched Elspeth beat up, like, I think it was four goons um, with this, you know, with this metal stick. And uh, when he and then he calmly walks up to her and she obviously reacts and kind of is holding it to his throat, basically. And he doesn't seem scared at all. So I think that tells you a little bit about him, where he just watched her beat up four people with a stick and she now has that stick right up against him. And he's still seems pretty confident that if things were to go awry, he'd be okay. Um so he must be, you know, a pretty badass dude. Uh, and also the other thing is when he reacts to her name being Elspeth, uh, this mm-hmm. is kind of our first indication. It'll come up again. But basically we're meant to understand that that's like a really old name. Like you wouldn't, people wouldn't be named that these days. That's like an old name that harkens back to the past of Nukapena, And that's what we learn sort of at this point. I think he says something like you would only see that name on a on a tombstone. That's that's a good catch. I forgot about him doing that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which is which is cool, and it and you're right. It does it does uh, strengthen the relationship a bit because it makes her feel connected to the plane, which is her entire story and her purpose right now is just trying to find her home and find what that is. And so someone telling her that hey, that name fits with where we are but just like way in the past like so old and his perspective is like oh your parents gave you an old ass name or something but you know Mm -hmm. we as readers and obviously elspeth knows planeswalkers can be hundreds of years old or more and so you know also i don't know exactly how old elspeth is but uh, yeah probably just legitimately has that name from a long time ago on this plane yeah we also don't exactly know if multiverse time works the same way on right. all multiverses. So um, there's a possibility. Yeah, they're a little intentionally ambiguous about that to let them, you know, tell whatever story they mm-hmm. want. So like, there's a possibility that she could have left and she could be in her late 30s, early 40s and come back and it's hundreds of years later. So um, we just don't know. Um, but yeah, anyway, Jeff, we have a little bit of an epilogue, which is kind of important. Yeah, I don't know why all chapters except the first one have an epilogue, and then the epilogue is just legitimately part of the story. It, it sort of felt like a weird thing to do uh, on their part. but uh, It would make more sense if the rest of the story was in one location, and then we jump to a different one for the epilogue. However, that's not the case, so I do agree right. with you that it does feel just like part in of the In fact, story. the epilogue's like the only part that was consistently in Good. New Capena. <laughs> yeah, right? Um so, um, <laughs> this epilogue, we uh, see the adversary is talking to his goons or people, and he finally finds out what the font is. And uh, he doesn't tell us, no one tells us, but he does kind of laugh and say, oh, that's so, he doesn't say stupid, but he kind of says, oh, that's dumb. Uh, wow, the maestro, or the, the maestro, sorry, the cabaretti are really um, keeping that, basically so it's so easy to steal it's just like out there um that's great so then he's like wow 
the crescendo is going to be one hell of a party. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Uh, <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> oh, also, Jeff, who's the adversary again? Uh, I don't know. Do, do they tell us? Or is it just a, just a powerful enemy? Or is it, you know... A planeswalker? What is it? Oh, a planeswalker. That sounds kind of... That, that sounds like... Huh. Oh, wait, is that Tezzeret? Is it Tezzeret? That would make sense because we saw him earlier. No. Oh, who is it? No, no, no. It has to be a demon, remember? Oh. It has to be a demon. You're right. Who is a demon that we know that's a planeswalker? Hmm. I don't know, Jeff. Who is it? It's Obnixilis, of course. The oh demon my gosh! <laughs> Wait, the guy from the all the art we saw from like the intro video? Yeah, to Duke exactly. Oh my gosh, that's crazy! <laughs> I would have never thought Obnixilis would have been on this. Uh, yeah so that's the big reveal of this chapter we're kind of making fun of it because it could not have been more obvious yeah who the adversary was it would have been hard to be interested enough in this story to read it and not already know that Nixilis was the adversary yeah um i mean like once we basically found out he wasn't one of the heads of the crime families which is what we kind of originally thought when we saw the picture then you're like, oh, well, this yeah. is another important character that's doing shit. It's him. It's got to be him. So, um, yeah. They will... If you maybe saw the card spoiler, Obnixilis, the adversary, that was also a bit of a giveaway for me. Yeah, that's uh, true. That's yeah. true. To be fair, <laughs> this, this story did come out before that card did. So if you read the story, you know. Ah, okay. But, fair enough. Uh, fair enough. Was, you know. But yes, no, no, it's... it's it's fairly obvious. So with that, we come to the end of uh, episode two. And uh, Jeff, my beer has been empty for so long. Fuck, I need a drink. Yeah. We shouldn't have planned like the background and two episodes with just one beer. You I know. know. We should know Rookie mistake. We, we should really know. Yeah. Uh, anyway, let's go grab a beer. This beer break is brought to you by our patrons over at Patreon. That's right. You're already supporting the show just by being a listener, but if you want to support the show even more, the Patreon is the best way to do that. And when you become a patron, you get an exclusive invite to our after party, which is a mini episode recorded immediately after this one where we uh, ramble on about non-magic things. Plus, you get to vote on which one of us you like more uh, by choosing to buy one of us a glass of Halo. Ugh. Well, I mean, yeah, sure. <laughs> Sorry, no spoilers. I, I Maybe I'm not super interested in drinking Halo, but um, apparently it uh, has some really good properties. So, yeah, buy, buy us a round of Halo. That sounds good. <laughs> so go to patreon.com slash arena regulars to give us some Halo. Alrighty, Zach. I introduced the first year, so I think think it's you that has to has to tell him about this one. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it's great. It's great that I get to talk about this one. So, <clears throat> from Poland again, we have another Polish beer. It's another pale lager. This one's five point five percent. It was founded in fifteen twenty five, and it is called Lazajsk. I think. If you had to put a percentage, like a probability, on. Uh, uh, on that being correct, <laughs> what, would you, what would you throw out there? Like, I, I could say that, yeah, you know, 60%. You know, I know... Wow, that's confident. May, okay, sorry, no, no, no. 60% of it is pronounced correctly. Like, I'm sure I said le. Oh, It could okay. be correct. Za, maybe za, maybe, you know. I know that the end is wrong. Jusk, I don't know how to... 
Yeah. The Zushk. Um, so I, I looked it up. Okay. I just typed it into Google, pronounced. Oh. Some Polish person has recorded themselves saying it and put it on the internet so that we know. I'm even going to butcher it knowing the correct, the quote-unquote correct answer. Okay. But it's Lezhysk. Lezhysk. So the J, the J is like an I, and the Z is like a J. Lezhysk. Weird, Lezhysk. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, sweet. Well, uh... But I think you did get the A, S, K, L, and E, right? So, you yeah, know, I mean... Was, you know, it's about 60%, right? All right. Um, yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Jeff, let's get back into the story. Let's do it. Episode number three is called Tests. Hmm. So, SATs, you know, is this the AP exams? <laughs> I don't know. Let's find out. Now, we, we pick up with Elspeth, who has been working with the maestros for a while now. Um, this is, she's kind of ingrained in it, and the museum has kind of lost its excitement she's looked at everything and got all the information that she could from that um while she's looking around xander the head of the maestros seems to uh, come over to her and start a conversation she hasn't really ever talked to him before and uh they're just kind of talking about stuff and like how she can learn more information about things and basically it kind of comes out to well you gotta do some things for me and she says, she knows exactly what that means because they're the vampire assassins. So she's like, well, I don't really want to bloody my hands at all and like kill people because, you know, Elspeth is a good person, doesn't kill people. Um, but I like this quote. And Xander says back to her, uh, oh, but the price of knowledge is oftentimes found in the veins of others. Very, uh, hmm. Damn. all right. I like that. That's cool. Also very vampire-y to say, um, obviously. Total, that's what I was thinking, too. Mm -hmm. Like, Yeah, a vampire, you know, an ancient vampire would definitely say that. <laughs> and it may be important to our story in the future, but we will find out. Um. <laughs> I was just thinking, like, right between episodes two and three, it would have been the perfect time for, like, a movie montage where Elspeth is just, like, <laughs> in the museum, like putting books away <laughs> <laughs> like apparently looking she's just at like things? tending the museum for like a long time before <laughs> writing things out. down um <laughs> that would be great there are a dun, couple i also dun, dun, dun. <laughs> i the tiger and stuff i i would want that same montage but with elspeth folding laundry and like doing laundry um yeah, so... yeah we needed one for that too that's right yeah Netflix, the, the magic TV show. I want some magic montages, please. Thank you very much. But, okay, so Xander's saying, you know, you're not going to be able to avoid bloodshed. It's basically what he's telling her. But he says she could still do some work for him that doesn't overtly require her to kill anyone. Yeah. And, uh, and to his point, he does mention, hey, forcing someone to kill somebody when they don't want to usually ends up pretty badly and is very messy. So it's much better to have someone who wants yeah, to kill people <laughs> kill people. He has it right. experience. He's basically like, yeah, if you wanted to kill someone, I would put you on that job. No problem. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, in my experience, if you don't want to, you're not a good choice for the job. Let's go to test number one. <laughs> <laughs> this was when I was just like, what was the point of this? But anyway, Okay, so <laughs> test number one is... Uh, she delivers a package. Yep. That was it. 
Um, everything goes according to plan. <laughs> uh, but it is to the Obscura. So that's when we get to meet the Obscura. There happens to be someone. Right. I there. forgot that they needed to be woven into the story in some extremely minor capacity. So, uh, yeah. So she goes there and uh, she delivers the package to an Obscura. And I think there's a detailing of like a really small mark on the door that if you didn't know it was there, you wouldn't see it. And that's how she knew uh, yeah. that this was the right place. Sweet. So after her test, or I guess her package uh, delivery, <laughs> which she's very good at because that was her old job, um, she learns a bit about how the city was founded, which, Jeff, what happened? Well, well where did New Copina come from? All right. So I got to make sure that I'm only telling the stuff that we learn at this point <laughs> in the story. But we, we learned some broad stroke stuff here uh, that basically this city was founded by archangels and demon lords who basically had to form an, a very unlikely alliance because of some, uh, you know, common enemy. I, I have no idea at this point who that could be, the common enemy to the plane. Yeah. But the demon lords and the archangels had to team up. There's like a painting or a... I imagined it as like an oil painting in Xander's mm -hmm. uh, office um, of like a demon lord and the archangel shaking hands and forming this alliance yeah uh, but nobody has any idea who this mysterious enemy is oh no 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 how, how would we know um yeah there aren't like statues around with them or like we've talked about them before or elspeth's interested in them and has fought them before no 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 no, no. <laughs> absolutely not um that's not uh, that's a mystery um but though to be fair it seems like elspeth kind of knows but um, Xander can't really remember because it was so long ago and he's so old. <laughs> right. I was going to say, like, we do learn that Xander was pretty much there for that, mm -hmm. but he just doesn't really remember anything. He doesn't remember the important information of who the enemy was. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Somebody wiped yeah. his mind or something. I don't know, but there's no way that you can't remember right. that. Um, anyway. Uh, That's the part I was unclear on because they never, like, make it explicit that his mind was tampered with. But it feels like they're sort of maybe hinting at that. Maybe or the obscure to maybe that. think that because how else could he possibly not remember like the this most fundamental event that changed his life forever? Like when he was younger, I don't understand. Anyway, um, through this, uh, the demon lords created the city of New Capena, and they appointed the five families to run the city. So the families already existed there. Oh, they're all different. Kinds and he basically gave them the power to rule the city by um, giving the heads of each family the creature type demon uh, in addition to the other creature types. That's uh, you know that's a uh, one way to put it. I don't know if the the demon lords actually said that. You know, like, yeah. I'm going to give you creature type demon in addition to your other creature types. I'm pretty um, sure that's what happened. <laughs> yeah, I mean maybe it wouldn't be that surprising. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Elspeth goes on test number two to get some more information. Test! Um, test. Uh, she has to follow an informant that she watches uh, come out of some place and make sure that they get to another place and see where they went. Um, while this is happening, oh no, something does kind of go wrong. She runs into a bunch of raccoon folk who are in this abandoned warehouse uh, <laughs> siphoning Halo from barrels, I guess. And they're just like raccoon people. And then they chase after her. But... Once again, she doesn't have a weapon, so she can't fight them. She has to run away, um, gives them the slip, and then finds where the informant is going. The informant is going. Jeez. 
I had one 6.3% yeah. beer, and I'm already slurring my words. All right. Um, well, to be fair, it was half a, half a liter. It's not your usual 454 milliliters or whatever. <laughs> it's all you're right, right. It's a bit bigger. It's a bit bigger in these bottles. Yeah. Anyway, um, and then uh, she, she ends up seeing where the informant went, which is great. But very importantly, yeah. she did find an empty warehouse. Yeah. So that's good. So... <laughs> The raccoon folk encounter is even worse than you described it because she just like runs right through them. Basically, they like come out and they're like, you're ours, lady. Like, we're going to mess you up because she calls them rats or something. Mm -hmm. And then uh, and then she just like charges through them because she needs to keep pace with her informant. And then the raccoon folk, I guess, are pretty dumb. So they don't know which direction she went. I, don't, I didn't really understand the point of this encounter. It felt like. They just, they knew the first test went off without any encounters, so they needed to, like, throw something in on this one. Um, yep, yeah, uh, <clears throat> you're right. Yes, that's exactly it. Yeah. It feels like you were playing Pokemon, and you walked through the tall grass, and it just, like, threw a random Pokemon at you, and you defeated it extremely easily and just went on your way. <laughs> it's kind in of one like, shot. You've played those types of games. Like, yeah. It's like, oh, this is, is this just like a, a, a trip in the game where if you walk past this line, they have to pop up? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, to be fair, I do like the raccoon folk. It's not like I'm against raccoon folk. I just thought that uh, their contribution to the story was... Uh, lacking <laughs> yeah anyway uh this is once again uh how elspeth doesn't have a weapon because she had to run away from the raccoon folks so the first thing she says when she gets back to xander is that she needs a weapon and xander's like what are you, do you are you gonna kill somebody because that's the only reason you need a weapon and she's like well no i don't want to yeah. kill anybody but i need a sword and he's like well defend myself from raccoon folk that i defeated easily so what what else what uh, Xander should have said was oh so you want a shield okay I can give you a shield to defend yourself but uh, you don't need a sword mm -hmm. if you're not going to kill anybody <laughs> he, he probably doesn't have any shields so what, the, <laughs> what am I going to do with that we're a bunch of assassins <laughs> that's true this part is great so um, Xander sits Elspeth down and he pours each of them a glass of Halo uh, and we talk about it for a little bit and she drinks it. And surprising enough, it's well, it's blue and like shimmery, and uh, she drinks it, and it, it uh, is very warm and it feels amazing. And she feels very strong and powerful, and like you know, I don't know, yeah, it's like super <laughs> juice, I guess. <laughs> um, so apparently, not only does this thing sort of power stuff because they, they do mention earlier, like Halo is for powering stuff, it is also like a fine scotch basically like he has some in, in this decanter that he pops open and mm -hmm. and they drink it together and he pours enough that it's basically one sip is in her cup um so i'm just imagining they are powering their entire city with scotch um, which is pretty dope that's pretty dope i like that okay i was thinking i mean like yeah it it Yes, it does feel like a like a scotch, like and it, and there is a warming quality to that, so that does make sense. No, you're right. Um, the only thing I was thinking is that um, this is unstory related, but Watsi did send out a um, a memo to all the uh, LGSs uh, because there, of course, is a pre-release in paper coming up, and they want a bunch of people to do the paper pre-release, and they talk about Halo, and they explicitly said Halo is not a drug, 
and that you can make it into rock candy and have fun having everyone taste Halo, but you are not under any circumstance allowed to put it in a martini glass and make it look like a cocktail because that is not acceptable. And, you know, obviously magic is for everyone and there are people that can't drink alcohol. However, they put it in the story as a drug. It's so clearly an alcohol. <laughs> and there is even art of Elspeth on her card holding a martini glass filled with halo. You can't do both. That's my little rant. It's over now. I understand um, why they would right. <laughs> try to make everyone feel included, but you kind of, that was a second thought. Bit, oh, shit. Um, no, no, no. So, <laughs> whoops, we forgot. <laughs> Let me do DCI ranked so, events in bars. <laughs> I feel like in in you know Flavor Town, this thing started out as cocaine, and then they've like you know oh, oh. maybe we make it alcohol. And they're like oh maybe it's uh, it's actually nothing. Let's uh, actually it's both. It. Um, we will get to yeah. that <laughs> in a little bit, but because um, <laughs> there's there's more to that story. <clears throat> so as they're drinking it and, and deciding, oh wow, Halo is so cool, all this stuff. Xander just drops a little nugget of uh, truth right here, talking about the past and just says, Halo was the last gift of the angels. Whoa. Elspeth kind of says, huh, that's a really generous gift. What a weird thing. Uh, I can't believe that they gave that gift. And he's like, yeah. And he kind of laughs to himself. Um, Test number three. Jeff bring us home i still think it's so hilarious though they're like yeah the angels before they left the plane gifted us with scotch (laughs) like really that was their final part like is that really does that add up to you man (laughs) 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 that they're like here have have a nice bottle of wine we'll we'll see you motherfuckers later yeah but all right the final test is uh you know they decided to mix it up first it was a delivery then it was following someone, and now it's a delivery. Um, so she has to deliver. <laughs> she has to deliver a vial of hate. They were really struggling to come up with non-violent uh, tests Things to that do. they could put Elspeth through. This feels like, like the video know, game. Deliver this, Elspeth. Fine. When are you going to kill someone, man? Like, yeah. This is like... Um, it's kind of like playing Sly Cooper or something, where it's like a PG game where you have to do something or steal something. Um, and you have like the weird tasks where you have to uh, like avoid the raccoon folk. That's what it felt like the whole time. Like these are the boring ones in like Splinter Cell where you have to like un- pick the lock. Or I just, it's so boring. I don't, I don't give a shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like a side quest that they just clearly added to the game later to just buff up the amount of like content they had and it's like oh you run from here to here and maybe some raccoon folk get in your way i don't know and you you have a timer and you have to do it yeah it's all all the shitty ones that take you forever because they're not fun it's just like i just have to run really quickly and like you can't stop and fight because you have to keep running and if you try to stop and fight it says oh no and they're running away and then it just cuts to you starting again but you don't even. But if you're a completionist like me, you have to do it. <laughs> it's just anyway. Um, sorry, let, let, let's get back on track because we're already getting a little long. All right, so one. she has to deliver a vial of Halo, and it's the discreet drop-off kind of thing. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, uh, it's in a, it's in an unmarked bag, and I'll leave that here, and then someone else will pick it up. So she does that, and who does she encounter on this mission? 
our friend Vivian Reed. <gasps> I, f- I forgot that she was here. Oh my God, Vivian, yeah. what? Must be after her meeting with Ura Brask. Yeah, that went pretty well because she's still alive um, and uncompleted. Right. Unless there's a part of the story they didn't tell us and she actually is completed and like infiltrated them. That would be kind of interesting if we ended up being that, but it doesn't seem like it. Um, <clears throat> also, wow. th- through all these tests, Elspeth has felt like Xander knows more information than he should and on her like arrival. So it basically means that like Xander has people tailing her to make sure she does it right and doesn't talk to other people and isn't like lying to him. Uh, so she sees, oh my gosh, yeah. uh, some of Xander's men are, are, are tailing me like they have the whole time. Um, so Vivian and Elspeth has to kind of hide in the bushes, which Vivian's really good at walking through bushes, apparently. So that's not a problem at all. And um, yeah, they kind of team up and say, hey, there's there's some bad people here. We got to get to the bottom of this. And Elspeth's like, I need to learn about my home. So uh, I guess I'll team up with you for now. As long as it entails me learning about that. And I think it's something like two sentences between her meeting Vivian Reed and her deciding Vivian Reed is totally trustworthy. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's very, very fast. <laughs> it's just yeah. like, yeah, we're, we're best friends now. Or like chill. Like I understand like, oh, you're a planeswalker. And like obviously that a lot of... I guess Vivian is just like any planeswalker she's friends with. Like... And she's fine with it. So Elspeth must also be like yeah. that. I don't know. But Elspeth knows like really shitty people, but not planeswalkers though. Elspeth really knows really shitty like gods or Phyrexians, but she hasn't really dealt with a bunch of shitty yeah. planeswalkers. So, okay. I could see that. Uh, whatever. I'm fine with that. And then like Vivian like name drops the gate watch and Elspeth's like, now I know you're a good person. Anyway, she does that, uh, completes her task goes back to uh, the hideout and uh, she's talking to Xander and through all of it, he's asking her slowly about the adversary, which seems like maybe he got some information from his uh, men and they might think the adversary could possibly be Vivian, but also just, do you know anyone? Have you been around? She, he's been kind of trying to figure out if she's working with the adversary, I think, through all these tests and through her having absolutely no idea who the fuck that is. He's like, okay, cool. Um, so, hey, now that you are one of us, man, I'm going to give you a dagger, and do you want to go infiltrate the the cabaretti, because, um, we need to know what's going on with them. And so, Elspeth decides, hey, I infiltrated one family, I will, I could do it again, I'm going to infiltrate another family. Yeah. Easy enough, <laughs> let's do it. Now, there is a, a thing about the dagger that I kind of like, because Xander basically says... I'll give you a less shitty dagger when you can prove yourself better, which I thought was nice. Was like, <laughs> yeah, you want you want a better weapon? You know, keep working. But uh, here's here's like a piece of shit dagger. You, this one, uh, this one fucking sucks. And then it, it all is also mentioned at this point that like the other maestros that she has fought before had daggers where the blade was perpendicular to the handle, and she had a normal one. That's like. The blade is parallel. To oh, the okay. Um, and I was like, that's kind of a cool, like, visual of the the assassins with the the dagger that's perpendicular to the the handle, the kind of like a brass knuckles thing, like the the set symbol. That's cool. So, anyways, that was just a nice touch that I, I wanted to give give the author a little nod for. 
Yeah. That, that scene was, was well, well done, I think. You know what also was really well done? The next gift that is given Elspeth's to... Elspeth's outfit. Yep. Uh, the next gift <laughs> that Elspeth was given is her flapper dress. That's right. Noise. Elspeth is a flapper, but it's not just a dress. And everyone, please remember, as we're watching and looking at this card, no, it is actually armor. It is a, uh, it's like a suit of armor that is made to look like a dress. Um, but it is, in fact, just her regular plate mail that she's used to. So she does actually feel kind of home at home in this outfit, which is nice. Um, it's not just kind of like the dude giving the, the chick. Uh, it's not like Vertigo where he's like, wear this dress and you're going to look amazing. It's like, here, you'll, you'll blend in. Also, you won't die. <laughs> Great. We have, once again, a nice epilogue to our episode quickly of Elspeth just going and, and infiltrating the Cabaretti and, and trying once but failing and then quickly meeting the most important person she could meet in the Cabaretti and then them deciding that she should be a cocktail waitress. So she is now Elspeth, the cocktail waitress. Hey, I'd play that card. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the, the one thing I think is cool about the, you know, flapper dress with the armor is that to me, as soon as I read that, it suggested that Xander expects some shit to go down at this party, right? Like, why else would he give her a cocktail dress or a flapper dress that is actually armor if he thinks that it's just a party? That's true. Hey, like, that <clears throat> seems to be rolling into our next episode, episode four, <laughs> entitled The Font. Jeff, tell us what's going on at the very beginning of this episode. All right, so we immediately immediately jump into Xander basically acknowledging that he's going to die. Um, he's like thinking about his death and he's talking with Angelo and he's being really cryptic, basically suggesting that Angelo is going to one day take his place and that he's been grooming Angelo to do this for a while. And, and he's doing that thing that, you know, you'll, you've, I'm sure you've got this vibe in like certain movies or in books in the past where like, this is a dude who knows he's going to die tonight. Mm -hmm. It's sort of the the whole Xander vibe going on. And obviously the person he's talking to, you know, as is tradition, has no idea, just thinks he's being weird, basically. Mm -hmm. So Xander is being all, like, thoughtful about and contemplating, you know, death and is telling, talking to Angelo, and Angelo's like, hey, are, are you okay, dude? You seem kind of down. Like what? Is everything all right? And a lot of it is like, wait, you don't want to go to the party, man? Like, we're about to go to the party. It's going to be fun. Right. And Xander's like, no, no, no. You go instead of me. It'll be good for you to be there. I will stay here. Like, you should be the new face, essentially, of the, the house um, or the family. But, yeah, basically he says, Angela, you go to the party because they'll be offended uh, if we don't send anyone. And he's like, they're still going to be offended because I'm not the leader. And Xander's sort of like, well, you, you essentially well, are. Yeah, Basically. and then and Hello leaves, and once he's gone, kind of from the shadows, with it's the moment where uh, the this this character who thinks they're gonna die is looking one direction, and we see from the shadows the the enemy pop out, and they talk to them without seeing mm -hmm. them. You know, that's kind of what it feels like, right. where he's like, "Oh, have you finally come to kill me, adversary?" Which is of course Obnixilis. Yeah, and um. Yeah, you're right. He is he he is here to kill you. 
Spoiler. Holy crap. Yeah. It's also important to note that, like, Xander it does kind of run the, all of New Capena, kind of. Like, uh, they do talk about how he runs the whole town, so he kind of is the most important family to um, uh, target. Not that the other ones are less important, but... Well, obviously they are, because we only listen to this one, so... You know what? The maestros are the right. most important family, and fuck every other family, I guess. Yeah, and it, it's like a common thread through all of the stories that... Uh, Xander knows what's going on in the city before anyone else. So yep. he always knows everything. And people are always, you know, marveling at how he knows certain things. And, mm-hmm. You know, there's even a a scene at the beginning where he knows where, like, which district of the city Angelo went to because he can smell it on him. Like, he just knows everything about the city and he knows everything that's going on and he always knows what happens. So, yeah. Um, this is, I think, a fitting scene for him where he's like, all right, the adversary is here to kill me. Mm-hmm. This is also, of course, uh, the moment where we like him the most. He is very mm-hmm. sweet, and we really connect with him. So another props to the author. Damn, um, getting me with this one. Um, anyway, <clears throat> <laughs> we are going over to the Cabaretti Crescendo where Elspeth is now, Ooh. all of a sudden, a very trusted cabaretty servant. A servant? Quote, unquote. No, no. She's a waiter. But is there a difference? Um, <laughs> sorry, that's the waiter in me talking. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> she's serving drinks because it's easier to get her uh, to have eyes on the floor as you're serving drinks. And Ginny comes up with Kit and Giada talking about the tonight's performances and how amazing they're going to be and kit is very excited to do her Mm -hmm. solo um but of course Ginny and kit have to leave momentarily leaving giada and elspeth alone yeah and uh it might be worth it since i feel like it was like an hour ago that we introduced these characters but uh yeah Ginny, kit giada are just the trio for cabaretti Kit is the singer, and Giada is the moody teenager that does not speak. Yes. Okay, so Giada, moody teenager, is left alone with Elspeth. Something basically, like, it's a very awkward conversation that they have together, um, but we find out there's going to be some big performance that uh, Giada is a part of. It's really unclear what but basically giada talks about how nervous she is mm-hmm. uh, for the big performance uh and so elspeth's like well why would you be nervous unless you were a part of said large performance and uh through all this elspeth kind of asks like oh are you singing a song too and giada's like no not exactly you'll see and Elspeth doesn't really feel good about this. It makes her feel very uneasy. Like, I don't know what's going on with this teenager and these people. I don't know if I really like them as much as I thought. So, Ginny comes back. Kit is going up to sing her song. And, you know, everyone loves that. So that's great. And then we transition into the big performance. The main thing of the evening. And this is what uh, the cabaretti we were talking about before. Uh, Giada is kind of being brought up to the stage by Ginny. We have a giant, this gigantic glass vase placed on the stage. The, like, is as big as, as, uh, Giada is. And basically, the performance is through a blast of white and blue light, 
it blinds everyone in the area. And what's left is a vase that is full of Halo. Whoa! So they used the font somehow. How did they do that? They have the font somewhere in the background. The font is filling up this vase while Giada is standing there. It's got to be under the stage and they have like a pump. And then that's the font. Right. Yeah. Some like David Copperfield kind of stuff, mm-hmm. you know? No, we actually, we know that that came out of Giada. And Giada is the font. She can create Halo yeah. on demand. And it makes her very weak and it hurts a good amount. And that's why she's always so quiet and sad and, uh, well, full of pain. Because she's getting yeah. just milked. For all the halo she's got. Right. It's sort of made clear that it's her life force that mm-hmm. you know, she's trading in for for Halo. And so, boom, the font is the moody teenager. Whoa, crazy. I actually didn't super see this one coming. So that was great. I liked this buildup. I saw it coming when Giada said she was part of the performance. So like literally one paragraph before. And I was like, oh, yeah. shit. Is that what's happening? So you right? get that so kind they, of dread. They kept it tight to the chest until, mm-hmm. yeah. You're like, you know what's about to happen, but you're still like, is, is that really what's, maybe is I'm wrong. Really? Maybe know, I'm maybe wrong. Maybe they just have a font. So um, yeah. that was kind of nice. But you know deep down that you're not wrong. <laughs> so much better, much much happier with that uh, that surprise. Good job. Um, it also ties some stuff Well in. executed. I, I like that. So right, and it, when it ties back to like Obnixilis smirking or like chuckling when he hears about what the font is, you're like, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> he heard it that it was the moody teenager, and he chuckled about that, and then was like, well, it's going to be a hell of a party. Exactly, and it also makes sense because yeah. earlier we didn't mention this, but when Xander's telling uh, Elspeth to infiltrate the cabaret, he says, all I want you to do is go in and find where the font is. And then just like keep the door unlocked so we can come take it. That's what right. he wants. Yeah. Um, and so the whole time you are, you know, they do put it in your mind that it is in a place that's secret as opposed to where it really is, is out and open all the time and nobody has any idea. Yeah. I was picturing an actual font. Yeah. You know? I was picturing like Times New Roman. That's what I thought. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> I was Comic Sans MS personally. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so uh, big reveal, Giada's the font. Uh, the entire story changes after this. So we go back to the Maestro's Museum. Xander is now fighting with Obnixilus's henchmen, um, all the easy assassins. Uh, there is a good moment that you were talking about where um, those assassins used to be his uh, family members, and they are trying to kill him with the daggers that he gave them, which are all shitty daggers. And he's like, oh, you think you can beat yeah. me with the thing I gave you? Because that thing fucking sucks, bro. Yeah, I did that on purpose. I thought about this. Like, I'm not so stupid that I give you better weapons than I have. Like, yeah, like, come on. And he also has the advantage that he knows the museum that he's in extremely well. Mm-hmm. And they do not. Um, so you can you also understand that he prepared for this in multiple ways. Like, he didn't really let anyone get a good internal map of the museum because he knows that they might be traitors one day or whatever. Um, so he's there's sort of this cool scene of him running through his museum, cutting down different ways that they don't know. So even though he's, like, old, he walks with a cane, he's still able to outpace these people and fight off any of the ones that uh, 
that come, which I think was a cool fight, sort of fight scene we talked about earlier. It was cool to see that, you know, give you that uh, reverence for why Xander is the top dog, because he sort of beat these guys so easily, despite uh, basically being a, an old man that walks with a cane. Eventually, he comes to a balcony and uh, hides out in there, closes the doors, and kind of takes a moment and uh, during this fight really just sees the the landscape and was like, ah, oh, there's a moment where he just remi- remembers, I've always loved this view, um, which is kind of a really right. artistic, poetic moment. And he's an artistic, poetic guy because he he does curate this museum and he loves all these art pieces. So he's very deep like that, um, which of course would make him want to be in a situation where he could have a very poetic um, ending. So, of course, he's on the top of a building, on a balcony. Obnixilis finds him because it's not that difficult to to be able to get there. And uh, they kind of have this little standoff. And as Xander is trying to uh, move very quickly and dodge under and stab Obnixilis under the chin, where the only part of his face isn't covered in armor. Um, Obnixilis moves incredibly quickly and he's expecting it's probably because of the halo that's in his veins because halo does make you move faster um, and are stronger and better than you normally are. Obnixilis does something that has broken, in my mind, this breaks magic lore and makes it so awesome and uh, I don't know if you remember this specifically what he does. Do, do you know? Do you want to tell it? Uh, it sounds like you're excited to tell okay. it. Okay. Uh... <laughs> so, Obnixilis, <laughs> uh, he literally does finger guns to Xander and shoots <laughs> him with magic. He has like a magic bullet that yeah. comes from his hands and shoots him in the chest as Xander falls from the balcony uh, to his uh, death on the streets of New Capena. Awesome. I loved it. I was so on board with the finger gun sh- magic shooting. That's so fucking cool. Yes. Why have we never done this before? I know Yeah. I know that people are kind of <laughs> against it because it's like gun-ish, but because it's magic still, I think they really just really did a good job. Um, cause I know people are really against guns and magic, yeah. but, um, this isn't really a gun at all. It's not an equipment or anything. It's just like your fingers. This was probably my favorite scene mm-hmm. in the whole story. Um, I think it's just really awesome that Xander knows he's going to die and he's like running away and toying with his previous henchmen, sort of like messing, messing them up for being traitors basically. And then blocks them off knowing that he has this picturesque balcony that he's going to die at that is his favorite view in the city. And then Obnixilis like blasts in and is like so arrogant and laughing at him. Like, you thought you could get away from me by running to a balcony. I have wings, you moron. And it's just like, it paints this picture of one person who, you know, like it makes you like Xander. Cause he knew this was all going to happen. He's not like kidding himself that he's going to be able to survive this encounter. But Obnixilis comes in and is such like a, arrogant like dumbass about the whole thing and just doesn't understand that Xander knew that all of this was going to happen and then the like finger gun 
magic blast really adds to his arrogance, I think. And it just, it paints like both characters so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one scene, even though it's like a very quick fight scene, like Xander jumps at him and he blasts him out of the air off the balcony and, and Xander dies. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's just really good, really good scene. Yeah. Um, and I was kind of hoping that it wouldn't happen, but then looking back at some of the key art from when we first learned about Nuka Pena, there's literally a picture of Obnixilis standing in his pinstripe suit holding a dead <laughs> Xander. <laughs> so I went yeah. back and saw that. I was like, oh, yeah, that's the guy. Okay. Um, that makes more sense. Yeah, he's definitely dead. Um, but I, I agree. They did a good job with that. And it uh, it does give a nice piece of like, Xander being, it gives him like an artistic feel where he's purposely trying to set up his own death to be this artistic piece. And um, you'll almost look down and see him splattered on the ground and he's like an art piece on the on the sidewalk. Let's go back to the, the Cabaretti Crescendo where there is right. chaos ensuing. Um, the mm-hmm. adversaries, henchmen are there. They were waiting for this to happen, as we knew from chapter whatever. And uh, they are starting to attack everyone because they're trying to get to Giada. So Elspeth snatches uh, Giada and... Because uh, she... So through all this, uh, Elspeth feels horrible what is going on with this woman and can feel that she is a prisoner in her own family and can't get out and she's getting drained for everything she has. Elspeth remembers that feeling from when she was a kid in her jail or whatever. So um, she grabs Giada. They basically ran backstage. They kind of bounce around some henchmen and then fight some people and eventually get into an alleyway that is uh, outside of this space and away from all the chaos, which um, while the chaos is happening, I think like Jetmir gets stabbed. He's the main dude of the Cabaretti. And then like some other people get hurt and it's a, a just chaos. Um, but we get to the alleyway, (laughs) which is more important than all those other random things that are happening. So, uh, Jeff, what happens there? Yeah. So in the alleyway, there are basically like two henchmen who I think they were, uh, the adversaries Mm -hmm. guys. So they, the adversaries men were tracking, uh, Giada because they remember the adversary was the only one other than the cabaretti that knew that she was the font. And so they are, there's, there's a scene where it's like Elspeth is really trying to lose these people and she just basically can't. They're, you know, they know what's going to happen, what Obnixilis is going to do if they lose the font here. And so basically there are a couple of them uh, that have now sort of cornered Elspeth and Giada and uh, they're moving in. And then they get hit by uh, a green arrow that turns into a giant wolf that uh, bites them in the head. Oh, that's weird. I think that's what happens. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a normal arrow. What, what kind of arrow is no, that? No, I mean, yeah. Huh. <laughs> it was uh, uh, one of many. So, you know, further green wolf arrows uh, <laughs> come into the fray. And then, of course, Vivian Reed was the source of this magical wolf arrow. Right. I forgot she was in that story. Just in the nick of time. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) So she kind of comes and saves the day. And uh, it's like, yay, she saved from the adversary. And then uh, we have this moment where Ginny kind of comes running out. 
uh, who's the the right hand of Jetmir, the the main cabaretty guy, and she is trying to get a Giada back, basically thanking Elspeth. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for saving Giada. Uh, or no, at this moment, I think she's calling her the font. Um, so she's like, thank you for saving the font from everyone else. We need to make sure that the font is safe and that the font is with us. And it is very obvious that Ginny does not have good intentions for Giada and wants to continue just milking her the way that they have been doing. And Elspeth knows this as well. And now we are kind of at this crossroads of like, Elspeth doesn't want to talk for Giada, but she knows what's best for her. And she kind of needs to get some sort of clarification. Giada, do you want to come with me? And I can save you, but I need you to say something or do something. And now, as we know, Giada isn't very verbal. Um, so... Mm -hmm. They do have kind of a look, and Elspeth just knows, nope, I'm going to keep you from these people. They're trying to take you back, and they're not the nice people that they seem like they are, and the way that they're talking right now is kind of evidence without using your name. <laughs> and so I guess Elspeth then communicates this uh, to Vivian. Um, or I, if I remember correctly, actually, Ginny is getting kind of more and more pissed off that Elspeth isn't like giving up the font to her, yeah. sort of revealing her true colors and just being like, all right, like I tried to do the nice thing. Thank you for saving the font. Now I'm like, cut the bullshit. Give me the fucking font, essentially. And then that's when Vivian shoots a green arrow that turns into a dragon this <laughs> time that blocks the entire alleyway. And then they just basically run away because there's a huge fucking dragon blocking uh, the the path of their enemies to follow. Yeah. Sick. Awesome. Um, we cut back over to Obnixilis, who is looking over the dead body of Xander splattered on the ground. Um, and there are a bunch of his henchmen coming back being the, like, hey, oh, sorry, boss. We have some bad news. We did not, in fact, get the font from the crescendo like we were supposed to. Uh, are bad. Um, that never really works out for the henchmen when they come back to say that. So um, I don't know who, like, did he draw the shortest straw or something? Or like, how did this guy end up having to, you know, you'd, you'd think you'd know. I really don't want to be the one to. Yeah, I, I'm sure that he was trying to get there first so he could try to blame it on someone else. But usually you don't get to talk long enough for that to happen. So that's just a, right. that's just a big old dummy right there. Um but uh, we, we know that um, Obnixilis is pretty mad that they didn't get the font because that's what he wanted the most. But of course, Obnixilis spent all of his time killing Xander instead of getting the font. So what are you going to do? Like, come on, man. Uh, what's more important? I think that speaks to his his understanding. Like, I think that speaks to Xander a little bit. You're, He's I get, like, mm -hmm. if I send other people, they're not going to. I have to do it, basically. Mm -hmm. No one else will be able to kill Xander. Yeah, um, and, and it's it's important that he dies as well as we get the font. Whereas, you know, in the cabaretti, he's like, yeah, my lowly henchman could probably pull that off. That's true. I guess that does make sense because they're... Um, well, normally I would say they're kind of uh, intoxicated because of the halo, but it seems like the halo makes you much more intense and stronger and better. So um, I don't know about that. <laughs> but but yes, you, I think you're right. It does say something about Xander that he is absolutely the one to get rid of because, hey, if you get the font, maybe Xander would be able to take it from you. So uh, good, good on him. 
Elspeth is now with Vivian and Giada, and they're all kind of running together. And Elspeth remembers, hey, we need a place to hide. You two go to this warehouse, I remember. There used to be some raccoons over there, but don't worry about it. They're, they're harmless. Harmless. <laughs> Just run past them. Um, but you can hide there for now. I need to go get a weapon. That's what I'm going to do. And Elspeth leaves, goes to the Maestro's Museum to finally get a real weapon. And that is where we end episode four. Glad to see the raccoon folk make another appearance. And um, uh, yep. uh, I really wish they had reminded me that Elspeth didn't have a weapon a few more times than they did. Because I remember being totally blown away by this. I was like, wait, Elspeth doesn't have a weapon? Whoa. Yeah. It's another oh, reason. You mentioned that several times an episode. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, that's another reason why um, you had to run from the cabaret. You couldn't fight them. And Vivian had to save your ass. But, uh, but yes. Um, so hopefully we're going to start seeing some, uh, some real, real, real fighting stuff if she can find a good enough weapon. Uh, but before that happens, Jeff, let's go to a beer break and get some more beer. All righty, Jeff. What's our third beer of the night? Uh, this time, you know, we decided we can't do all Polish beers. So uh, we decided to get a Bavarian beer. Uh, Hofbrau Munchen is the brewery. And this is the Hofbrau Original. Yes. So this, this is a Bavarian beer, but it's also made in Germany. So I don't understand how that works, but... Um... I think what it is is that the the I read the the brewmaster is is Bavarian, but then he went around a lot of places and and learned how to brew and and must make it in Germany now. I don't really know. Yeah, I mean it says right there, Bavarian beer, product of Germany uh, on the back. This one is five point one percent, and it apparently started in fifteen eighty nine. Another oldie. Yeah, and this one might actually be, like, date back to 1589 if it's the original. It's the Hofbrau original, you know? Yeah. None of that Warka Strong stuff. We got that Hofbrau original. Yeah, yeah. Jeff, let's make this long episode even longer. Let's go into episode number five. This is the Hymn of the Angels. Ho, ho, ho. I wonder what's going to happen in this one. Maybe something about angels. I don't know. All right, so here we are in the warehouse. The warehouse that we are totally sure is 100% safe, except for maybe some raccoon folk. Basically, uh, Vivian kind of checks, checks it out, uh, and that leaves Elspeth and Giada alone for a little bit. And they have a sort of nice little heart-to-heart -heart where Giada explains to Elspeth that she wants to be the savior of New Capenna that gives them the halo that they really need. But she's worried that she's not going to be enough. She understands that every time she gives them the halo, it's making her weaker and that it's not an infinite well. She's not an infinite well and that she will run out and she's worried that she won't be able to save uh, New Capenna. And Elspeth kind of really identifies with that, you know, uh, this whole relationship is sort of Elspeth seeing herself in Giada. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Elspeth was maybe in a more literal prison, whereas Giada was in sort of uh, a prison of uh, the cabaretti. It, it didn't quite look the same, but she understands that it is the same. Um, I also liked this bit quite a bit. And this part hit 
home a little bit more than I was expecting. Um, <laughs> literally home, it, it's just like a, a thing with Elspeth, my connection with her, I guess. I don't know. The theme of everything. But um, there's this one piece, this one sentence uh, that's talking about um, trying to find real peace, real prosperity had to come from within by addressing the demons that literally built the city and the figurative ones that still haunted its streets. Um, there is something about the demons that literally built the city and how um, kind of in North America, our lives were dealing with how our ancestors or like the, the people who inhabited this place have done damage on the native land that uh, we don't really get, we don't have control over. There was something about that that really got me um, reading this, being like, wow, mm -hmm. that's the thing that's happening right now. Um, where we're kind of being like, I need to come to terms with the past that I didn't have control over, and I have to go towards a future that I do. Um, that I don't know if that was intentional, but uh, that especially with Vivian in the story, there was something about that that really like got me. So that's just my little two cents. Yeah, I think it probably probably was intentional, mm -hmm. and I agree with you. It's, it was nice. Basically, what happens is because of this sort of heart-to-heart, -heart, Elspeth promises Giada that she'll protect her to her last breath. Um, I think it's sort of the important part of the that initial part of the story. And then they sleep in the warehouse, basically. Yeah. Turns out, maybe the warehouse wasn't that safe after all. Uh, they hear some <laughs> rustling when they wake up. And... Just because they hadn't mentioned the irrelevant raccoon folk enough at this point, Elspeth just has to get it one last time in there. It's probably just the raccoon folk. Let's go back to sleep. So I think that's <laughs> like six times the raccoon folk have been brought up and actually play no role in the story. Because, uh, spoiler, it's not the raccoon folk that they hear uh, that, that creates this rustling that wakes them up. No, no, it's uh, fucking Ginny again, trying to steal her daughter friend uh, thing away from them. Oh, gosh. Ginny, Ginny, Ginny. Yeah. Um, she brings two Cabaretian forces with her, and they're all big and scary. But, uh, of course, we're, we're not going to back down from a fight, so we're going to, you know, try to, uh, try to fight our way out of this one. Um doesn't really work out, though. No, I think because, uh, you know, Ginny and her squad have the, uh, the, the upper hand here, you know, uh, Elspeth's team just kind of woke up and thought it was raccoon folk. <laughs> uh, so there's a description of, of uh, Vivian pulling out her bow and Ginny's already thrown a dagger at her to sort of disarm her and the, the dagger ends up hitting her and she drops her bow. And then one of the henchmen picks it up right away uh, and sort of there's there's this funny scene where the henchman taunts her like not so powerful without your bow. And then there's a whole like two paragraph description of how Vivian like eyes told him that she is still powerful without her bow and that it's going to be he's going to regret it. It's going to be the last thing he does. But then she basically submits. I, I didn't really understand why there was this whole description of Vivian. I don't need my bow to kick your ass. And then, but she does, but she does. I guess, because she doesn't proceed to kick his ass. Yeah. So. 
Because she's kind of like of the planeswalker. She's like the Hawkeye, right? Who just like, no, but you really, but you can't though, right? Like you're just, that's yeah. you're the arrow <laughs> person. Um, so anyway, they they all get like handcuffed. And um, as this is happening, Elspeth's just trying to figure out how Ginny found them. Like, how did they find us in this warehouse? I, I was so good at it's hiding, I guess. Um which uh, we'll find out about. She's like, it's a big city. A little yeah. bit later. I mean, okay, but as soon as I read that, I was like, tracking device, obviously. Okay, so <laughs> Giada has a tracking bracelet on her wrist that she didn't know about. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so that's it. That's that's what happened. Uh, they were tracking her. Uh, I wish Giada had figured that out earlier, but uh, hey, what are you going to do? And uh, kind of with this, Giada isn't locked up with the rest of them. And she plays along a little bit that um that she's gonna go with Ginny just to you know lessen the blow on everybody else and kind of help um help smooth things out a little bit just to be like no no I'll 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 come with you it's fine I I did want to be with you in the end and so Elspeth has a moment of like was I wrong did she did she actually want to come with us or was was that uh was that just me thinking she did yeah, I mean, like, Giada plays it kind of well, actually. Mm-hmm. Where she's just like, oh, thank you for saving me from them, or whatever, because she knows that uh, she has a prior relationship with Ginny that she's sort of taking advantage of here. Um, but yeah, the side effect is that Elspeth is like, wait, I thought you wanted to come with me. Was I really abducting you? Mm-hmm. Although after, like, the heart-to-heart they had last night, she must know that that <laughs> isn't the case. But uh, yeah. they need to throw a little bit of tension in there. Uh, it's true, and you, like, oh, babe. yeah, I mean, like, if she's playing Ginny this way, you could also, you know, if you're Elspeth, you'd worry that uh, maybe she was just making it up with you, too, because you were in power at that time, right. so. Um, yeah. I could see it. In any case, they're not going to go back to the um, Ventolione, because it's been compromised, so they have to hide somewhere else. Also, we know that Jetmir is in very dire conditions, and we need to um, make sure that he's doing okay, because he is the you know highest member of the family and he's we can't have two family members die of course they don't know about xander but still i guess that that is worth mentioning that uh you know giada's very upset or sorry Ginny was very upset and was gonna kill elspeth and vivian and then giada says oh like you don't get to make that decision jetmir has to choose what happens to traitors oh like, you're right the cabar- that's the cabaret way mm-hmm and so uh, that's how we find out that, about Jetmir. And, and she's like, okay, we have, you're right. We have to take them to Jetmir. So Gianna actually kind of saves the day on that one. Yeah. She kind of saves the day in a lot of ways in this entire story. So um, go Giada. <laughs> right. You know, I like her. Um, I don't think I've seen her card yet or if she has a card or anything, but I, I hope it's cool. Um, I'll play it maybe. No, don't, no, don't quote me on that one. I probably won't. Um, yeah, it, it, it's going to be a white card, I guess. So there you go. Uh, that's true. If it's a white card, I could see it being white green, you know, uh, maybe. Uh, but if I could put it in a Bant deck. Anyway, I'm not talking about that right now. We're talking about the story. And um, we are going to see the biggest uh, grievance that I could. Uh, no, maybe not the biggest grievance I have in this story, but like a pretty big one. It's pretty upsetting. Um so we're going to uh, this place where we have Jetmir is hidden and safe, apparently. And I think it's with the Obscura, I guess. Basically, the entire city of New Capena is all fucked up. Everybody's fighting, and it's just like a war zone right now. 
So they're taking Ginny is taking right. her captives and Giada to this safe haven. It's just that this is the obscure place that she delivered the Elspeth delivered the package. To You're her. right. Um, You're so right. Yeah. Um, so this does have some meaning to Elspeth. Oh, I remember this place. Um, right. So that that test did mean something in the end, I guess. Uh, that that she recognizes it's the place. It's them trying to tie, make that relevant for sure. Later. Um, and it kind of does. You're right. It kind of does. Um, so we do see this cephalid woman in a navy trench coat, and um, the really interesting thing about the cephalid woman is that she doesn't look like a cephalid, even a little bit. <laughs> um, and she's just like a merfolk thing. She has like a webbed hands. I yeah, guess. like a merfolk. Does she have like yeah. a beak and like tentacles and a large bulbous head like a cephalid? Cephalid's like a squid, if anyone knows. They're like squid octopus things. So uh, we haven't really seen them since Odyssey Block. It's kind of upsetting. I'm, I'm a little upset. <laughs> <laughs> like, we don't need... Sure, she's like she, just a little too humanoid. And then and then like, oh, everything's so humanoid. Just, just not a cephalid, but it, it definitely says that she's cephalid in the story. Yeah. It's to the point where I legitimately wonder if it's like a typo, but <laughs> no, because it's 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 the card is a cephalid too, so ah, I see. It, it's like it was a purposeful thing to be like, oh, we're bringing cephalids back, but not in a real way, in a fake. Oh, I'm a I'm a humanoid thing. I, you're a merfolk. There's no way you're a merfolk. I I, I, yeah. I can't get over that. Yeah. <sighs> anyway. <laughs> Usually I don't get thrown off by stuff like that, but cephalids, there's, you know, I always thought they were super cool. So I, I was hoping that they'd come back as like what they really are, but whatever. Anyway, she is a cool character though. She's pretty cool. Uh, I don't remember her name. No, actually, no, I do. It's Camise. <laughs> Sorry. You should start talking because I'm, I'm getting a little bit drunker than I thought I was going to be at this point. Um, you take over. Anyways, Camise runs, Camise runs this hideout that, uh, uh, Vivian, or sorry, <laughs> fuck, <laughs> Elspeth <laughs> delivered the package to earlier. Uh, so Elspeth comes up and is like, hey guys, this is an Obscura hideout. And Ginny's like, yeah, no fucking shit, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Elspeth's like, yeah, but don't you think maybe the adversary has infiltrated the Obscura since he's infiltrated all of the other ones? And then Ginny's like, I think I can tell a traitor when I see one. <laughs> So immediately, you know, obviously this lady's going to be- betray them. I mean, it's just, that's the only way that this can go after that interaction happens. Mm-hmm. So we walk into the hideout. We see, as promised, Jetmir not looking so hot. Uh, and pretty much, there's pre- pretty much nothing happens before, other between them walking in and them getting ambushed. Uh, and this is another part where the Riveteer are sort of shoehorned into the story because apparently it's riveteers that ambush the obscura hideout, which, um, I don't know. They didn't really explain how that happens. That doesn't make a ton of sense, but they were somehow betrayed by riveteers in the obscura hideout. I I forgot it was the riveteers. You're right. No, that's great. Um, I'm happy that it was that because I ultimately, one of my criticisms was that I was hoping there'd be more inner family struggles. Um, so, Mm -hmm. so it's nice that, uh, that is true. I I kept thinking it was just the adversary people the whole time. Um, it's also good to note that, uh, Giada, sorry, what? 
I was going to say they had to cram in like a couple of more houses in this last story that didn't play any part. So yeah, obscure yeah. hideout ambushed by riveteers. Don't worry about how that makes sense that the riveteers yep. knew where the obscure hideout is. The obscuras are known for their, you know, <laughs> hiding abilities, but still. Uh, yeah. And the brokers are nowhere to be seen. Um, no. So Giada does uh, take a vial and, and, and produce some halo that's supposed to heal uh, Jetmere. Um, because Halo also has healing properties, because Halo can do fucking everything. It's like the every Just drug. It's it's like a multi. You want it to do. It does. It's a multivitamin that also is scotch and cocaine. It's amazing. And like oil, because it powers their industry as well. So. Oh right. <laughs> um, it, it comes in many forms. In any case, they have to run again because they're getting attacked by these riveteers, and it's just all over the place. Oh, did we talk about Elspeth's sword? I think we forgot about Elspeth's sword. Um, that happened in the last one. She got a sword. <laughs> did, did we not say that? Yeah, anyway, she, she picked up the sword. <laughs> she, she picked up the sword from the Maestro's Museum. Uh, it was in Xander's like office uh, safe thing. Um, it's really cool. It, mm-hmm. uh, it's got a ball thing, and it's all swirly, and it's, it, it, uh, it's a sword yeah. right now. It's too big for her, basically. Yes. Anyways... So uh, I think this is when Elspeth just, like, wills her handcuffs off. She's just like, you know what, fuck these handcuffs. No, she Uh, casts Disenchant. Oh, but how is that, like, fundamentally different? No, it's not. No, you're right. It's just, (laughs) it's like one of the first times we see a Planeswalker cast a real spell that we've seen in Magic. I guess, no, there there might be, like, no. It's true, I I can get behind that. They make up other ones, but, like, Elspeth literally cast disenchant on her shackles and she's like, Nope, I'm not right. I'm not, uh, pacifized anymore, I guess, or arrested. I'm no, I'm no longer arrested. There we go. That, that checks out. I guess my issue is that like, she then has to help Vivian out and like green also has disenchant effects. But so if it was like, she had to help true. out like a red planeswalker, it'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. But, uh, I feel like Vivian I'll, probably could also do it. I was about to say she could naturalize it. <laughs> I was about to say like, oh, Vivian's cards only create creatures, and you get to draw cards because of creatures. But Elspeth also just puts counters on stuff and destroys creatures. Neither of them like disenchant big. stuff. Yeah, neither of them disenchant <laughs> stuff. But that would be a really good planeswalker ability. <laughs> Plus Actually, one I think disenchant. Vivian want, I think Vivian Reed. The minus three, like, either kills a flyer or an artifact. Like, don't quote me on that. But oh, I you gotta be. Uh, might, might be. Might yeah. Be able to and Elspeth just, like, loves tokens and, like, little dudes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyway. So, she casts a Disenchant, which is uh, exciting. And then um, they, they get out of there and they're running away. And there's, like, the Cephalid lady. And um, they fight off all the dudes. And then the cephalid lady's like, hey, come this way. I know a way out. And they're all like, oh, yeah, it totally wasn't you that betrayed us. Let's follow you. And so they all follow the cephalid lady out uh, because she's going to take them to the Obscura home base, the Obscura uh, triome, as it were. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said, if that's not safe, nothing is, which uh, was very convincing. And so yeah. everyone just just followed her which is park heights apparently um it's the park mm-hmm. heights cathedral um which once again why is this not the name of the freaking triumph 
Park Heights Cathedral. So much cure than uh, than whatever the the legendary creature's name is. Whatever it's actually called, I'm sure it's it's dumb. And through some of this, as we're running away, Giada and Elspeth have like a couple moments where they're like, you know what, you you're doing all right. I like you. And um, uh, <laughs> Giada takes off her like. Uh, bracelet thing and kind of throws it on the ground and and mouths to Elspeth that it was the tracking device which we had mentioned earlier oh there was a tracking yeah, device that's on her. when we learned that yeah mm-hmm. so great and I, th- I think you mentioned she prepared the healing halo for Jetmir but she actually ends up giving that to Elspeth Elspeth gets kind of fucked up in the fight drinks this healing halo and feels a bit better sick thanks Giada um, it's only cool because she didn't ask for it Otherwise, we never we never right. ask Giada for for it uh, for Halo. You just have to wait for her to give it to you, because um, that's acceptable. Exactly. Yeah. But besides that, Elspeth and uh, like the good guys never really use the Halo for anything. Um, though you know, I kind of wish they did. Like, yeah, things could have been a lot better if you just like fucking juiced up a little bit. But like, yeah, I mean, you had a <laughs> continuous amount of. I, I understand that you're not supposed to use it because you're fighting against the people that are forcing her to make it, but it could have been a little bit better if you used a little bit. Just, you know, just just, just a taste. Anyways, it turns out the Cephalid, not Cephalid, was the one betraying them and obviously is leading them into yet another trap. Um, this one, even worse. It turns out the original trap was just to get rid of their associates, their bodyguards, the, the people that were with them sort of isolate uh, Giada uh, was the plan. Um, and the secondary trap was really the, like, bring it home. Let's get Giada mm-hmm. now. But of course, Cephalid, not Cephalid, did not anticipate two planeswalkers being in the mist. They didn't realize that Elspeth and Vivian would be uh, part of this. And so that was their fatal flaw. And with that, we have um, Elspeth taking Giada and running away. And Giada's like, oh, no, but what about Ginny? And Elspeth's like, she made her choice. She did this to herself. <laughs> um, which is true. She did. Um, like, Dude, Gin- Ginny's the worst. <laughs> she's the fucking worst. She didn't even remember your name for a while in the story. So, like, you know, just uh, be okay with that. She basically referred to you as the tool. Yeah, like, yeah the she tool. She the font. The water fountain. You're the water fountain. <laughs> I need you for this. So, I think we all know where this is going. We have some people running away from a big trap. And where are they running to? Well, could it be a confrontation with the big bad enemy guy? I think it's probably running right into a confrontation with the big bad enemy guy. That makes a lot of sense. Um also, they happen to be in basically this cathedral that has a bunch of angel statues. Crazy. That's so weird. Mm. Um, wow. You can also hear like some singing and stuff when you're in there. Nuts. Uh, that's some very surprising stuff in a church. Hmm. I wonder what's going to happen to the font uh, now. <laughs> Wait a minute. Didn't they say um, Halo came from angels? Giada makes Halo... Oh, let me piece this together. And then she's so, hearing voices from angel statues. Is she an angel? There we go. I knew we'd get there. I knew we'd get there eventually. 
Yeah. Yeah. The the interesting thing is that they say something about like Elspeth seeing the glow around Giada, but also around herself and like hearing the voices as well. Mm. And I interpreted that to mean it's because of the halo she drank. Like she just drank angel essence uh, shortly before. But then it's like, I feel like more, that would have been more of a thing if you drink angel essence and hear the voices of angels and remember that it's not a drug. So uh, they Mm. wouldn't want it to be canon that you uh, drink halo and then hear the voices of angels and see things glowing when they're not. So, I don't know, were they trying to hint that Elspeth was of angelic descent herself? Or was it just, oh, she just drank Halo, and so therefore could... She just drank Giada's, like, essence, and therefore was feeling the same thing Giada was. I was just thinking that it was more so that she was close enough to Giada that she was kind of experiencing some of her... uh, like what was happening to her that it wasn't, it was something that would reverberate off of Giada a little bit. So if you're close enough, you could hear it. But Mm -hmm. I like the idea that she was an angel at some point and that's why her name is so old. And Elspeth could be like an old angel. Right. Like I think, yeah, maybe there's some angelic sort of heritage. There is maybe what they were hinting at. Uh, Especially combined with the, it's the old like angel kind of name. For sure. Absolutely. So um, the rest of this uh, seemingly is not extremely exciting, which you would think it's really exciting, but it doesn't. Uh, to me, it seemed like it just kind of wrapped up and was just like done. Right. To tell me if I'm wrong, but that's what I remember. Um, and basically, it's once again, Obnixilis is now here to do exactly what everyone else wanted to do was take the font and have control over Halo so you could control New Capena. And do all of those things. And, uh, you know, Elspeth is, of course, not going to let him get away with this. And there is a fight, but in the end, it really just seems like Giada takes control and bursts into a giant angel halo being that kind of explodes through the entire room and is the most powerful thing around. Um, so this this captive person that we have... Uh, ends up being able to protect themselves and everyone else uh, through their their power. Yeah, it goes as you'd expect, right? Like, okay, Elspeth is trying to fight Obnixilisk uh, and protect Giada. Obnixilisk is too fast for her, too strong for her. He's basically better in every way. And she's, like, doing okay, but is obviously going to lose. And then Giada ascends into her angelic destiny you know it has this explosion of light and halo and and joins her angel uh fellow angels because uh, if it's not clear she's an angel mm-hmm. and uh this power invigorates elspeth she shoots this power towards elspeth uh makes her faster stronger and in <laughs> importantly improves her sword so that it is a better sword uh, more balanced and more powerful, I guess. And then Elspeth beats uh, Obnixilis. Uh, it's sort of the opposite. She's too fast and strong for him. And then he uh, planes walks away like a little bitch. And that's uh, that's what happens. Yep. And that's basically the end. Now, okay. 
there's something important we do need to talk about. Now, I don't know if it's right now or if it happens later. Um, let's quickly talk about what happens later in the epilogue, and then I want to circle back to the important thing that is the hot-button topic, I guess, of, of everything. But Oh, I didn't realize there was one of those. Yeah, so um, in our epilogue, um, Elspeth and Vivian are like around the museum, and they're kind of looking at the... The, all the destruction of what has happened to um, the maestros, but also just like all of New Capena. And, uh, and Hello is there, and he ends up having this, uh, this like note that is for uh, him, but it, it has something to do with Elspeth. And so it kind of explains how Angelo is going to take over the family once he's gone, kind of with a PS, uh, Elspeth can do whatever she wants with any of my stuff. Like... Hey, she has yeah. been wanting to learn about uh, New Capena and all of our archives and whatever. Uh, just let her do it. Like, it's fine. She's she's cool. I liked her a lot. Um, she, she's good. And so Elspeth's like, oh, sweet. That's all I've ever wanted to do. Thank you so much, and hello for being such a cool, nice dude to let this happen and being very trustworthy and respectful for your dead, uh, I guess... Elder. Yeah, and so Elspeth and uh, Vivian basically get all up in the uh, archives of New Capena. And, I mean, I wouldn't say they learn anything that maybe they couldn't have pieced together themselves, but essentially remember how the angels and the demons made a pact. What they learn is that the demons betrayed the angels in a sense where uh, what they did is they actually turned their bodies, their life forces, into Halo. And that's how Halo started. And the purpose of this was to fight off the uh, Phyrexians. And so not only is Halo a drug and it's alcohol and it powers the city and it uh, makes you stronger and it invigorates you and it heals you, it is also apparently the way that you fight Phyrexians. So... Um, that was kind of the key thing that we learned. Uh, Elspeth's journey to this plane was, you know, fruitful, and they have. We now have a f uh, a weapon against the Phyrexians. And that's that's it. That is the big reveal at the end of the entire story. Um, and we are finished with the story. Nothing else happens. Well, okay. So there is one more important thing. Vivian learned from Urabask that there is some sort of insurrection planned in New Phyrexia. There is some sort of mutiny planned, and so she thinks that might be the right time to strike. So that just struck me as odd, because it's like she Tezzeret came, grabbed her, brought her to Urbask, and then they didn't kill her or try to complete her. They just told her that there's some sort of like insurrection happening. Uh -huh. In New Phyrexia? It's like that's, a revolution? It, it seems like that's... Okay. Maybe Eurobrask is tired of being the worst one and wants to fight against the other Phyrexians. <laughs> is that it? Um, yeah. Could be. I mean, maybe he hates Atraxa like everyone else. In any case, this is the end of our story. And uh, we kind of left with a lot of information we already knew. Um, the entire point of the yep. story seems to be learning about New Capena, which was 
given to us through um, other sources that weren't the story. Um, and mm-hmm. in the debut video where they talk about cards and stuff that comes out and it's like a big thing, they talk about Halo and they specifically talk about how it's like squeezed up angels. Um It seems a little bit sad that the point of the story is to learn about something that we already know. Like the the lifespan of the story seems to be only until the point where they the story the 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 video comes out essentially. Um, Because the video only came out like you know maybe four or five days ago, but like if you watch the video, the story is not worth reading essentially. Um, Kind of a bummer. Kind of a bummer with this one, I think. Not my favorite. Yeah, I I did have that experience that I saw the video before uh, reading most of the story. Mm-hmm. And it it left me feeling with, like, a lot of the story was pointless, like yeah. you're saying. And so I definitely, definitely sympathize with that criticism because it's like, you know, of the five short stories, three of them were just setting the stage and all the stuff that you basically learn in those three stories was already told to us Mm -hmm. so it's like all right so 60 percent of this was not really worth reading and then even some big reveals at the end like oh it turns out that uh halo is angel juice it's like yeah we already knew that though like you already told us that you even made a joke about it you called it out explicitly in the reveal videos (laughs) yeah and also how can you not so this is another thing so we already talked about how watsi told people not to make it like a drug or whatever or an alcoholic drink they sent a bunch of streamers and everybody a bunch of you know their, their normal stuff with glasses with like gold rim tips and like a box and it said um sorry it said halo dust but it's like it's always glitter or whatever but it's like so you're sending yeah. angel dust to a bunch of streamers <laughs> to make your cool drug look cool? Like, that was just, it was like hilarious, but Definitely like... Definitely getting some mixed messages. I'm yeah. so confused what you want, man. Like, it's... They want the best of both worlds. Yeah. They want everyone to understand this is like a drug, mm-hmm. but they also don't want to be on record of it being a drug. Yeah. Because they don't want to, you know alienate people anyway so they just want to they're just going to explicitly do both somehow. yeah um make no mistake this is absolutely a drug uh this is a drug world we're full of drugs halo's a drug there's lots of drugs um it's about drugs yeah <laughs> and we know that it's not okay to uh hey if you have a friend who just poops out drugs you can't force them to poop out drugs for you that's what we learned okay yeah you treat them like a human being and maybe they give you some of their pooped out drugs. But uh, we just, you, it's up to them. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Um, so it's their choice. It's their choice. Uh, ugh, yeah. Um, I read the whole story before the video came out. So I knew all of it a couple of days before, which is nice. But then at the same time, it was like, ultimately, I don't know. I don't give this a high grade as far as the story goes. Though written well. I thought yeah. the writing w- was well done i think the structure was weird yeah they they had some odd uh, constraints to work with it's like hey yes writers 
come up with a reason why Vivian is there. They're mm-hmm. like, what? It's like, yeah, you have like uh, 50 words to do it. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? Um, <laughs> but there was nothing like, I think that the, the writer, so her, ne- her name is Elisa Kova. And I think she did a really good job. And I specifically found multiple points in the story where I literally had to talk about the actual writing and read it because I really liked it. So I'm giving good, big, big props to Elisa Kova. It's, it's more the content that you were given that you, that was rough. I I think there were some constraints that you uh, had to work with Mm -hmm. that were less than ideal. So I don't, I'm, Um, I'm saying that the story wasn't great, but Elisa Kova, you did a good job. I liked you. I know that it wasn't your fault. Cause, yeah, because she had some really nice moments that uh, yeah. that I always thought back to. And just like, I, I just have to compliment the writer on this scene. Thing. You know? And like the way that you put the Xander thing together. Great. You know, good, good stuff. Mm-hmm. You know what? The only, the only criticism is I don't think there was enough raccoon folk in the story. Uh, if, they, yeah, if they could add I should more. should have mentioned raccoon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I was talking about constraints earlier. I'm like, you must mention raccoon folk at least seven times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was probably... That, surprise that was like on the breakdown. You have to mention raccoon folk this many times. Figure it out. But please don't feature them in your story. Yeah. yeah. Jeff, this is absolutely <laughs> the longest episode we have ever had in our entire... Yeah. recorded podcast let's go to our last beer and talk about the beers <laughs> yeah we still have another beer holy shit. <laughs> nothing sounds as nice as a can you know bottles are good though but mm. the cans you know they just make a better sound one day we will talk about Agreed. Bottles versus cans. It will not be today because, boy, do we need to blast through these beers and these ratings. Because this is the longest episode we've ever had in our entire lives. All right. <clears throat> so, this last beer, we are drinking one more. Which is uh, pronounced, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Zaywik. 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 I don't know. Jeff, do you know how to say this? I didn't look it up, but I'm trying to apply what we learned earlier. I'm going to say Zhaiviek. I could see Zhaiviek. Um, if you're interested in uh, looking at the pronunciation or the, the how these beers are spelled, uh, check out our Instagram. Uh, it's at Arena Regulars. They'll all be there. Um, but it is another pale lager from Poland. It's 5.5%, though normally it's 5.6% in Poland. Uh, it's different here and anything that is exported. And it was founded in 1856. Yeah. It's a darn new one. That's what it is. <laughs> Downright recent. Um, Downright recent. I, I see from the bottle that it's brewed using three ingredients only. Interesting. They, they seem proud of that. Is that a good idea? I mean, I feel like it's water, barley, and yeast. So does that mean there's no hops? Because usually beer's four. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, Jeff. Are you ready to rate some beers? Do you have some ratings in your mind? Uh, I need to get a good sip of this. Uh, uh, this new one? Zhevyek. Fuck. I think I'm, I feel a little lost, but I think I'll be able to figure it out. I think I can, I think I can get started. Okay. And we'll, uh, we can, we can let it play from there. So just to remind you, we have a four silver beers that we've tried tonight. 
Of course, we'll be ranking them from best to worst because that's what we do. And that means that we will start at the bottom, silver four, and up to silver one, just like in Arena. It's funny Whoa. how that always seems to work out every single episode. You know, the it does. of beer lines up with the tiers in Arena. It's crazy. Um, we're like 72 for 72 on that. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, I guess we'll start with silver four. And I'm, I'm definitely ready for what I'm going to rank as silver four. Cool. And for me... Uh, I'm sorry for all of you uh, Bavarian slash German fans, but interestingly enough, the only beer that we chose that is not Polish is getting the Silver 4 rating for me. That's the Hofbrau Munchen Hofbrau Original. Mm. Tasting this one right here, I'm still iffy, but I think I might join you. Um that one sucked. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wasn't. It sucked, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't. I remember drinking it and being like, whoa, boy, I'm, I don't like this one. Yeah. Hofbrau original. <laughs> that one just hit me like a wave. As soon as I took the sip, I was like, all right, this is my contender for silver four. And I, it didn't get better as I drank it. You know, sometimes your first sip's a little off putting, but you adapt. That's uh, that wasn't the problem here. <laughs> the yeah, problem was that uh, I don't don't like this beer. It almost had like a skunky flavor to it me. It had a skunky it, flavor. It was like a weird. It's right. Yeah, it, it it reminded me of what I always think Heineken is, and then when I have Heineken, I usually don't like it. But then we had our episode on Heineken, I liked it. So, um, <laughs> it had that skunky, gross thing that I don't like, but right. My my fiance yeah. really likes that skunky stuff, so so she probably would like this. Um, she also yeah, smokes little, weed, little extra so she, funk. she wants her beer to taste like ah. weed, which is weird. I'm like, ugh, right. no, you don't want that skunky crap. <laughs> so like, saying something's dank is a compliment to her. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> dank <laughs> dank beers is what she likes. Um, I'm going into silver three. I got this one right in my hand, buddy. What did I say this? <laughs> Zywiek? Wait, wait. Zywiek. 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 This one. I don't like this one very much. Um, it's better than, than the uh, German thing or the Bavarian thing or whatever that is, but um, this one um, I will not get again. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> you know what? We're, we're approaching maybe the first time that we've we've aligned on a silver series that that might be in the works because i think this one's got to be silver three it, it has yeah. to be it, it, this tastes like nothing yeah um, it, it yeah. was almost my silver four but i remembered that you were absolutely right about half brow or whatever didn't like that one um maybe all these ones so to be fair um i was the one who said we should do all these polish beers for the uh the um podcast i had went to a polish restaurant they are um like so nice when you're drinking or eating polish food is what i meant um or like um you know uh, cabbage rolls and a bunch of all these different sausages and things they always pair nicely but drinking them alone i'm like fairly underwhelmed (laughs) might be the uh (laughs) the best thing this is the ultimate test doing a silver series um, I love the nod to cabbage rolls, though. Super underrated mm. food. They're, they're amazing. Mm. Um, Delicious. All right, let's go on to silver two. 
Uh, I think for me, silver two is the Varka Strong. Ooh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, I know. I kind of expected to like this one the best just because it had some of those. Uh, it was kind of cheating in the silver category by having some darker malts thrown in there to give it a little more flavor. Um, but uh, it didn't meet my expectations. So I got to go silver two on Varka Strong. Interesting. So through that, of course, my, my silver two is going to be Lejasque or whatever. What is, how do you say that? Yeah. You wouldn't find it interesting if you had the same choice. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, because my silver one was Varka Strong. Um, I have had this one before yeah. um, at that restaurant. Um, but tasting it again and tasting against these, it does give me enough of that uh, maltiness, even though it's so... Um, ordinary that uh, I, I do like it. So it, it ended up being my, my silver one. Yeah, I think it had like a bit of sweetness that was coming through mm -hmm. from the malt in it, like the extra yeah. uh, grains that they added. It came through to me as sweet rather than as, as like body. Um, and so I think it just wasn't quite what I was looking for. And uh, the Lejaisk is... Uh, is I guess my winner, um, but I gotta be honest, I'm I'm not I don't have high hopes for any of these in the grand competition. Think, uh, <laughs> we've had some other silver series where I was more impressed. So <laughs> this silver series has been so funny of like the story being so subpar, and the beers being. Like <laughs> I'm really happy that we. But got also, to... it's our longest episode somehow. So, yeah, exactly. We, we had a lot to, you know, you always have more to say about the things you don't like than the things that you do like. You know, usually it's like, obviously you can tell it's really good, right? Because it is. And the things you don't like are like, yeah. these are all the reasons this fucking sucks. And I'm going to remember more as we talk about it. So, um, yeah. Anyway, <sighs> hey, super disappointing. <laughs> all around. Um, <laughs> all around. <yeah. laughs> Yeah. <laughs> worst silver series ever um i love it <laughs> with the exception of the author she did a great job given no. what she, given the file she was handed exactly um let me one more time remind you that her name is um elise kova awesome love elise kova i i actually want to read more of her books because um, I was actively impressed. Like, I do think that of all the magic authors, she felt like the best one to me. Even though the story was not great, um, it, it felt the most, is the best written of ones, which is weird. Yeah. Like, I feel it like... It was a weird thing where, like, I had to take a step back and then realize the story sucked because mm -hmm. I was engaged. And I was so very engaged you know, the whole after, time. After a few episodes, I was like, wait a minute, nothing has happened. Wait, this <laughs> fucking sucks. There's so many dumb things that... <laughs> yeah. But I was still really interested in, her, like, Elspeth at her laundry job. And I'm like, yeah, I am actually kind of interested in right. this. Right, exactly. How did you do that? If the author is, is, has me interested in Elspeth working at the dry cleaner, then, yeah, I'm, in, I'm into yeah. it. <laughs> but uh, with that, last call is ending, and we are headed to closing time all right this is a marathon this is a fucking marathon hey if you're still with us wow yeah thank, thank you. you thank you um 
you can always reach us at Arena Regulars on Twitter and Instagram to tell us that you are a marathon runner. Or you are a marathon listener, I guess, is the case. Yeah, you might find us on MTG Arena, maybe even in the Arena Open this weekend. We'll be under the username Arena Regulars Podcast. It has been so long since we mentioned the Arena Open, I forgot it was happening. Um, if you happen to, <laughs> to see me um, in the Arena Open, my username is Zulberg, Z-E-U-L-B-E-R-G, on Arena, Twitter, and Instagram. But Jeff, where can they find you? Yeah, on Arena, I'm Blues Bruce, and on Twitter, Blues Bruce MTG. Hey, look at that. Um, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It means a lot to us. We love reading those. Uh, go to our uh, Spotify, rate us there as well as iTunes, and uh, follow us on um, any place that you're listening to our podcast right now, as well as YouTube. Leave a comment. Hey, honestly, we just want to talk to you. That's all we ever want to do. This has been the Arena Regulars. Reminding you that this has been a long-ass episode. Uh, thanks for sticking with us. Good night. All right, that's fine. <laughs>